you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 93. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Shut-In Raygun. Chris, how you holding up? How's your health? Uh, pretty okay, I think. You know, same as always. Every day's the same. Yeah, at this point. definitely. Yeah. I hear you loud and clear. How are your, uh, have you heard anything new about your family members that are afflicted by the coronavirus that we were talking about last week? Yeah, they seem to be doing okay. Uh, nothing crazy to report. Oh, that's um, good. At least for now. That's good to hear. So, that's good to that's hear. That's good. Well, we hope everyone out there is doing well, all things considered. These are tough times, obviously, and we are here for you with our usual menagerie of gaming news for PlayStation and third parties as well. Remember, you can support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can get early ad-free access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to the show. We have plenty of those today, of course. And also access to Sacred Symbols Plus, the PlayStation podcast supplement that is 60 to 90 minutes, sometimes even longer every week. That is only for CLS patrons. So we hope that you uh, come and join us and enjoy what we have going on over there. And we understand also that this isn't possible 
for all of you, especially these days as people lose their income and their jobs, whether they're laid off or furloughed or whatever. So uh, we totally understand if you can't join us, but we'd love if you could. We have plenty of content over there for you. And uh, speaking of Sacred Symbols Plus, last week, Chris and I sat down to do a mailbag where we got through a bunch of the questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas that you've submitted over previous weeks and months that we were not able to fit in to the show. And this week, I'm going to sit down and do a spoiler cast uh, solo for Twin Breaker, and we will talk about the story of the game. Remember, Twin Breaker is our video game. It is out now on PS4 and Vita. We have sold many thousands of copies, and we appreciate that very much. So go support us there. I think you'll like it. It's a nice way to spend some time, especially in these dire hours. Thank you again. Chris, where do we even go from here? I mean, there's, there is actually quite a bit of news to talk about. Yeah. We have quite a, a few inquiries to carve our way through, etc. I don't know. I just I, I feel like I don't have much more to say about the situation at hand. Oh, yeah. I've been mean, talking a little bit about it every every show, but it's just like it just seems like it's not necessarily improving. So, yeah, it's uh, it's just very weird right now. And I think um, just it's probably just best to just kind of move on, not necessarily pretend like nothing's happening. But I mean, we can't just start every show with like, a, hey, everything's still terrible, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it seems like that's people would be listening to the show, presumably to get away from that. Exactly. So let's move on and just get right into what the audience has to say to us today. Mm-hmm. A few corrections to get into. We haven't had many corrections recently, so it makes sense that there would be a few this week. A couple for you. I think one or two for me. We'll start with you. OK. Kirk wrote in, said, hey, guys, quick correction about the Destiny IP ownership. You guys keep saying that you're surprised Activision let Bungie keep the Destiny IP when Activision never owned it. Activision only had publishing rights for 10 years. Bungie had IP rights from before Destiny was even announced. Um, This is a little semantical, I think. I think, well, first of all, we know that. I think Chris was more speaking about the fact that Activision let them out of their deal uh, after they actually infringed on the deal by not delivering anything on time uh, a full five years early. So is that is that fair to say, Chris? Was that? Yeah, I think so. I did. Yeah, I I think in. generally when you're dealing with like publishers and like these kind of relationships whenever they end negatively it's it's not all that uncommon to see a publisher try and take a little bit more (laughs) so it's it's not necessarily that it's surprising that they you know i I, obviously they kept they had ownership of the ip but it, it was still kind of shocking that they managed to you know fuck up the deal and still keep the ip is what i meant yeah, I, I I understood your meaning, and so I, I did want to read that out just because uh, semantically it is right, but uh, yeah, I think yeah, our totally. intent was was obvious. Tim Bob wrote into us. Tim Bob said, hello, chaps. Chris has mentioned Spyro not having two thirds of the game on the disc the past few episodes, and I wanted to write in to issue a bit of an update on that. It is correct that the initial copies were that way, but Activision did a second printing of the game last year that not only had all three games on disc, but the patch as well. I have this copy myself so I can confirm it does indeed exist. The box still claims a download is required because they couldn't be bothered to change it. The new discs have a 2019 copyright date on them. Love the podcast and hope you all have better times ahead. Likewise, Tim Bob, thank you for the correction. It's a mm. more valid correction, I think. Yeah, totally. I had no idea that that was even a thing. Yeah, I didn't either, actually. Or, or maybe I did, but if I did, I, I, I didn't recall. But yeah, Chris was referring to the Spyro trilogy that was released in 2018 on PS4 and elsewhere. And how you actually had to go download the other two games, the two, the Spyro 2 and Spyro 3 off of the Internet. You basically just had a license for it through the disc. But it looks like they remedied that, which was smart. Yeah. And I think that that was done in order to 
just get the game printed and out because I think they were working on it at the very last minute and they didn't want to delay it. Yeah, so. that's probably fair. Thank you, Tim Bob. David Colin Copeland has one for me. Says, hey, sluts on Sacred Symbols Plus. Colin said he was excited that he got the gold cartridge version of Majora's Mask. While Colin is right that the game is the best in the Zelda, that the Zelda series has to offer, he should know that all Majora's Mask cartridges were gold. The first run of the game instead had a, a lenticular print on the cartridge, you know, as an image that moves when you view it from different angles. I didn't want Colin to have an excess in joy in these joyless times, so I figured I'd let you know. Oh, that's interesting. So I actually did have the first run because I did have that. I didn't know that that was the word for it, the lenticular print. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever seen that word or heard it. But I did have that one, but I didn't know they were all gold. I actually thought that there were gray Majora's Mask cartridges, but I guess not. Oh, well, thank you for your correction. All right, Chris. Uh, Brad E. needs some advice from you. He says, Mm -hmm. hi, CNC. Spring has come and with it, a sleeping war has emerged from the depths to spill its blood on my doorstep. It seems my apartment floor is uh, of strategic importance and has become the chosen battlefield. The small ants rage war against the large ants and now the bodies of the fallen lay dismembered and forgotten on my carpet. The cat is useless and it appears we have no other choice than to join the battle. Please, Chris, you've stacked the bodies of slain cockroaches. You sacrificed the babies, even been to hell and made it back. What is the secret to mercilessly killing without remorse? Chris, <laughs> I love the sentence. The cat is useless in this like very like verbose. Very like uh, well-written passage. I think, um, man, that sucks. I, I always I, I never understood the whole ant thing because ants to me seem so much more negligible than roaches and uh, pretty much every other infestation that you could possibly I, I would pray for an ant in, invasion over a roach infestation any any day of the week because ants at the very least are just small enough that you could probably like step on them and like you could step on an ant until it, until it's completely gone like straight up like you just erase them but a roach it's like ah that's a whole that's a whole deal you know rats are even worse so I would I would say, like, I don't know, man, I think uh, basil. I remember I heard that basil or basil, as some people basil. say basil. Uh, I know that that kind of keeps keeps them away. I know that there are certain uh, oils that you can get diffusers uh, that you put in diffusers that kind of keeps them away. Um, just uh, try try some of that. And if not, just uh, get a better cat. Yeah, you got to get a better cat. Let me see if I can come up with a little saying here. If the basil you lay. The ants will away. How about that? A little bit of Middle English. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It sounds a little bit Shakespearean. Uh, well, good <laughs> luck to you, Brad E., as you vanquish the ants. I've had in San Francisco, as, as my old school audience knows, I had crazy ant problems in my apartment. And it really frustrated me because we lived really clean. It's just that it was there's rainy season there and the ants would just try to get out and then up and they would come up like the sink pipes and stuff like that i guess seeking water and refuge yeah and no matter how clean we kept it or whatever the case might be they just kept on coming and it was so annoying like there was just eventually you just had to accept that event like sometimes you would i would walk into the kitchen i haven't even thought about this in a while but i would walk into the kitchen and you know it's totally clean but there'd be like a trail from the sink to like the garbage can or something and it's like what the fuck is going on here you know it was just a real frustrating fiasco for me but i don't live in san francisco anymore so i don't have to worry about that yeah ants are weird like i I don't understand how like um 
Like, at least they're not, like, like ants don't strike me as, like, dirty creatures. Like, I don't see an ant and I think, like, oh, gr oh, oh, gross, you know? But, like, a roach, like, roaches to me are just filthy. They're, they're just, like, like walking filth machines. Yeah, roaches are disgusting. I'd, yeah. I'd freak out if I had roaches in, in my dwelling, in my domicile. But I'll yeah. say, down here in the south, we have some, all sorts of other creatures and bugs and... Yeah, wendigos. Yes, of course. Especially those. Brent Lindquist wrote into us and said, hey, fellas, do you find yourselves trying to escape from constant reminders of the current global pandemic through distractive entertainment or are you leaning into it? I tend to do the latter, which is why I'm playing through The Last of Us again. Something about it just helps despite its gloomy relevance to the current state of the world. Chris, are you avoiding the news at this point or are you trying to lean into it and, and keep up with things and learn as much as you can? Oh, well, I, I definitely want to know what's happening. Like, I don't want to yeah. be completely out of the loop. Just because it's kind of annoying. Like there, are, there are ways that you can still be informed about what's happening without necessarily, you know, putting yourself in a depressive episode. You know, I just think video games are a good way to just kind of distract, but like also keep keep informed. Like it's important to know what the hell's going on, especially as this thing spreads and de-escalates in some places and escalates in others. And uh, and some of the news can actually help, I think, calm people down. We are, uh, as far as I'm aware, as far as all the news that I've seen, we're currently in like the peak of this thing, which means, you know, it can really, best case scenario, things are probably better out from here on out. But yeah, I don't know. I, there's, I, I wouldn't recommend just completely shutting yourself out of all, all the news. Yeah, it's, it's a peculiar balance, I think, because... Yeah. I'm really tired of hearing about it, not because it's not important. It's one of the most important, if not the most important thing that's happened in our lifetimes, probably. But and certainly the most destructive to our economies and our and our health and all of this. But it is really depressing to hear about it just ad nauseum over and over again. Yeah, it it, it is the only thing anybody's talking about every day, for sure. It sucks. Like, I, I feel like it, social media, for instance, has always been terrible it just gets worse and worse but it's been especially annoying lately and it feels like the it feels like this particular issue instead of uniting people against the common cause has actually just caused sycophants and cults of personality to just get even worse than they already were around a lot of political figures and issues and whatever the case might be and pro Trump or anti Trump or any of these guys that were running against him, whatever. And it's just and I'm sure it's like this in other countries, too. But it, that's the thing that really bothers me the most is like, I wish that this was more of a uniting issue for everyone. And I think that probably offline it is, but it's hard to visualize that when we all have to stay apart from each other. So I don't know, I, I'm I'm finding just the sycophantic cult of personality shit so tiring. Mm -hmm. And I actually tweeted about it before we started the show because I'm just. I just feel like we need normal people right now that can rally us to a common cause that we should all share. Who cares like how we really get there right now as long as we as long as we get there and it doesn't infringe on our constitutional rights or something like that. So I don't know. That's the thing that uh, per Brent's question that that gets me the most is that I would be much more engaged if I felt like I was just getting the news. And just getting updates, but I'm not really just I, I don't even know where to go to find that stuff. You can't listen to Trump, 
give his press conferences without his own weird shit. And I tried to listen to the Sunday shows yesterday and I listened to like Meet the Press and This Week. And it's just like it's just so depressing. I don't know. So I totally understand what Brent's saying. But Chris, the weird thing about Brent's question is that he's playing The Last of Us, which he notes has gloomy relevance. He says gloomy relevance, which is a good way to put it. That is a weird game to play to get away from this. <laughs> yeah, I would it's, say it's maybe not the best one, <laughs> but maybe it's a little bit uh, cathartic for him as well. So, yeah, I totally understand. And we'll talk, obviously, a great deal about The Last of Us today on the show. You should be playing Death Stranding so you can uh, remember what the outside is like. Right. Talk to people's holograms. Yeah. But never actually get to touch them. It's a whole thing <laughs> going out or on or out there. Kale Ng wrote into us, said, hey, CMCM, with the days of isolation dragging on, what are your recommendations for passing the time? Aside, aside from the obviously underrated Twin Breakers. It's Twin Breaker. I wish people would stop calling it Twin Breakers. Please. I can't take it anymore. Books, video game, video games, physical activity, etc. Thanks, Chris. How have you been like, give me a little bit of a rundown on your day. My oh, like what? Like my day, what my yeah, day like, to give day. me an average day in the life. Yeah. Oh, my God. I wake up. Uh, I write. I edit. I try and film and probably don't. And then I go to sleep. It's, it's a very mundane existence right now. Yeah. Because uh, I, I mean, I usually used to go to, you know, I, I would go to. I have a bar that's like not too far from my place and I would like go there and like some of my, some of my animator friends would be there and we would hang out or like sometimes some of my friends would have like a thing and they'd be like, hey, come over. We're doing like some some nonsense. I have I'm in a like really good position where like I live pretty much maximum five to ten minutes walking distance from most of the people that I know. So it used to be a little bit more social than right now. Right now is just kind of ah. It's really mundane. It's really terrible. Yeah, I hear that. I try to be more productive than I am on a daily basis. I wake up. I mean, it's always been, it's been my case for a long time. It got better for a little while and now it's worse again. But I, I wake up. I'm just super anxious when I wake up. So like I snap to like wake up and then I can't go back to sleep. So I'm like really anxious. And that's why I went to a psychiatrist to begin with was because uh, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I learned, by the way, that it's actually really unusual to wake up with anxiety. It's actually much more common to get anxious the further the day goes on, which is the exact opposite problem I have. I actually get less anxious the further the day goes on, which is to, to the point where like at night I'm like fine. So I have to like deal with that for a little while. And then I try to like get work done. I have a bunch of emails to get through or things for Colin's last stand, customer service stuff because I do my own customer service and obviously content creation, but the days just kind of are melding together, which was a problem I actually had last year, too. That's why I wanted to get out of L.A. I was just like in a bad situation and I just wanted to escape from that. And then I got away from that mundane nature for a little while and now it's back again. But it would be true whether I was anywhere, I guess, in the world. Pretty yeah. much. So I got to say, though, per the news thing, I forgot about this. So yesterday after dinner, as the audience knows by now, I moved to Virginia, was planning on buying a house. I, sh I was hoping to be in one by this point, but, you know, the world is ending. So uh, I'm stuck at my mom's house, which is fine. It's good. It's been good to be here and catch up with her. And she cooks me dinner. And so we went out uh, for a walk after dinner through her neighborhood and we ran into some of her neighbors. And obviously we're keeping apart from each other, but we stopped like across the street and we're talking to them. And. The woman was like uh, the, the, the woman in the couple was like, did you hear about the tiger that got coronavirus? 
<laughs> at the zoo. And I, I was like, I, I didn't. I was like, oh, no, I, I didn't hear about that. But then I, I remembered that I saw and this goes back to social media. I saw that the Bronx Zoo was trending and I'm like, I don't even care about this. I'm not going to click on it. And then I was like, oh, the Bronx Zoo is what you're talking about. And so I had a little bit of something to add to the conversation just based on Twitter trends. Even though I didn't read the story, I knew I could infer yeah. what she was talking about. It's kind of interesting that we call it the Bronx Zoo. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 the Bronx Zoo. Yeah, Bronx Zoo. <laughs> Bronx Zoo. Yeah, I mean that's what we that's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh I remember going there. Chris and I are both from New York, born and raised, and I remember going there on Earth Day every year to like it was a big thing where like thousands of people would go to Br- the Bronx Zoo on Earth Day to pick up trash. I remember wow. and like clean up. That's nice. And so I have a nice little memory of doing that with my uh, with my family before uh my parents got divorced and ruined my life. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Oh, so uh, he's, you know, he's asking about, have you been, Chris, have you been reading any books or anything like that? I can't quiet my mind enough to read too much these yeah. days. Yeah. I mean, I got, I started reading this book a, like a, a couple months ago and then I stopped just because I had so much to do. And now like, I just, I don't have as much to do. So I've just been picking, picking it back up again. It's like, it's this book about late night television. And I think it's I think it's the late night wars or something. Hold on, I actually have it like on the side here. The war for late night. It's like a book about uh, how like the the Conan O'Brien and Jay Leno thing kind of happened and like the ins and outs of that. And it's super super interesting. I've always been like a weird fan of late night television for some reason. Yeah, late night television is great. There's something I don't even really like it as much as I just like the just the intrigue around it and just how it works and like why it works the way it does and just sort of the the personalities behind it and just like the 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 logic behind putting the format together and like the logic behind picking personalities and like the the ins and outs of like oh you know the the etiquette between hosts is super interesting it's just really cool yeah that is an interesting world i think late night tv is horrible today i think i think pretty much everyone is not very good at it but i i did back in the day, like when I was younger, I really liked Jay Leno in the 90s. Like I used to watch it with my dad. I don't know why he let me stay up that late, but I used to especially like staying up on Mondays because they would do headlines, which was like this skit they would do after the monologue, but before the first guest where they would find like crazy in the analog days, like crazy newspaper headlines and stories and talk about yeah. them. But then when I got older, I really started to like Letterman a lot. And remember when Letterman was um, extorted? <laughs> Yeah. Do you remember that? Is that in that book? I th- I don't know. It's not so far, but uh, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure that's that's a pretty big that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Like when you slept with or had an affair or something and yeah, with one of his staffers and then the boyfriend of the staffer like extorted him. So then he had like an episode where he just admitted it really, really interesting stuff. But yeah, that's, that sounds like a cool recommendation. How about TV shows? Are you watching any TV shows or movies? No, I with TV shows and movies, I, I just sort of watch the same things over and over again, like because I, I just I need I can't sit there for 30 minutes or an hour and a half without like doing something or, or without feeling like I'm gaining some kind of knowledge that it's, I can sit there and like read a book because I feel like I'm getting something out of it. I'm like I'm exercising my mind and like I'm doing something. But with a, with a TV show and a movie. Like, I don't know, I'm just I'm just sitting there kind of passively. So I, I tend to just put on things that I've seen a million times. Like I'll I'll put on Seinfeld reruns or I'll put on Always Sunny reruns or I'll put on Inglorious Bastards for the like 900th time because I love that movie more than anything. I think um, 
I just I can't I can't justify just watching new shit for some reason. I can play a new game, but like, like I don't know. I don't know what it is about movies or TV. I just can't I can't get invested right now. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually worked my way all the way through from beginning to end. It's actually one more season, but it's not out yet. Of Vikings, which was six seasons worth of shows. Damn. And uh, I would just sit in my bed, lay in my bed at night from probably I stay up really late. I go to bed at like between four and six in the morning, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would, you know, after midnight or so, I would settle in and put it on and I really enjoyed it. It did get a little weak in the second half. And then I just started playing Vita while I was watching it. So I wasn't even really paying attention half the time. But yeah, that was that was what I I was watching recently. And before that, I, I think I recommended The Last Kingdom, which is awesome, awesome show. Uh, the, f- yeah. the fourth season comes to Netflix soon, but I got to watch the one I want to watch now is Ozark. Oh, the that's third very season good. Of that's out. Yeah, I haven't finished the third season, but I, I watched the first season and a little bit of the second season. That's that's a great show for some reason. Yeah, like, I really <laughs> dig that show a lot. <laughs> There's no good reason why that show should be as good as it is. Um, it's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I love it. But uh, the question was, like, what are your recommendations for passing the time? I would say, like, honestly, like try and learn something because, like, there's so many good, like, tutorials and shit on YouTube now that you probably don't even need you don't even need to go to school for a lot of the shit that you you'd probably want to do as like a, a cool hobby right now. I've been trying to learn coding just in my spare time, just learning how to fuck around with game engines in a more competent way. Oh, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. Well, thank you for the question, Kaling. We appreciate you. Physical activity, by the way. No, of course not. Yeah, I was thinking about getting Ring Fit Adventures <laughs> on for the Switch? Switch because it's suppo- I've seen videos and pictures of people getting like really working up a sweat and I really don't move around very much anymore. The only reason I like moderate my weight at all, I'm, I've actually lost a little weight since I've been here is because I just don't eat that much. Yeah. But I, when I walked around the block with my mom yesterday, we probably did like a mile. My legs actually hurt. And I was like, what the fuck? Like I was just, it just, it just seemed like a normal walk. I'm just like, wow, my body's totally atrophying. So you know what you got to do? I'm not even kidding. Pick up, uh, pick up Beat Saber on PSVR. You'll be sweating it. You, you can sweat, you, you'll sweat in like, three games which is like maybe like 15 minutes and you're and you're good it's good exercise well, actually maybe uh, maybe i will do that that's actually funny you say that because i was thinking it's so funny you say that because i was thinking about before i thought the ring fit adventures thing i was like maybe i should break out psvr maybe that's now's the time to move at least stand up or something yeah man move around a little bit seems like a lot of work though <laughs> <laughs> platinum adventures wrote into us and said hey lads uh, just wanted to give major props for the audio quality in your podcast because of the pandemic. Other podcasts are using Discord or some other type of program and they sound awful. They don't process their audio at all. So thank you very much for that crisp audio. We get a lot of compliments on the quality of our audio, Chris, but our, our setup is so lo-fi that it really surprises me that people have so much of a struggle with getting their podcast to sound right. Because I noticed that on the podcast I listen to, too. Yeah, Our podcast sounds way better than... Almost all of the podcasts I listened to before the pandemic. Yeah. Well, we're recording on the same equipment, like despite right. our, you know, despite our distance. Whereas like a lot of uh, I feel like a lot of people just kind of have their own equipment and their own uh, kind of setups. Like I think the first couple of times we did ours remotely, people were talking about how things didn't sound right. And it's because that we were both using high quality, but different mics and different recording setups entirely. So it's probably right. it's probably a mix of that. I I totally hear that. I'm I'm annoyed too because like our recent uh the most recent episode of the Snark Tank podcast that I had to record, our recordings got completely fucked, so I had to do just Discord stuff and I hate the way it sounds. I'm just gonna name the episode bad audio episode because <laughs> it's just 
I, I hate it. It's probably fine for most people, but like it, it is like uh, if you're an audiophile and you value sound quality, it's definitely one of those things that like you, you can pick up on for sure. I'm not so much of a stickler for so some people are really nuts about audio quality and I get that. I, I just don't know that you need to be an audiophile about podcast audio quality, but it should be listenable and good. Yeah. And I, it does seem like some people just don't really give a shit. So that's a little bit weird to me. And I guess I was on to something. Although I uh, remember when we were when we when I announced I was leaving California and we were going to do it remotely, we actually started recording remotely before the announcement just to trick everyone because I was afraid people would be like, there's no way it would be the same. And then no one noticed. So in terms of the uh, the content itself, which was nice. Finally, Kevin Sullivan writes in and said, it says, is a chicken nugget a meatball? It's actually an interesting question, I think. What do you think about this? Is a chicken nugget a meatball? Mm, no, because a chicken nugget is a nugget, and a meatball mm. is not a meat nugget. That's in, that's a valid point. We, In other words, is a meatball a, a nugget? Yeah. Could meatballs are, not, meatballs are definitely not nuggets, because right. they're, they're spheres. If you had a chicken sphere, for sure, yeah, that would be, that would be a chicken ball. You know, that would, that, would be yeah. a, that would be a meatball. That would be a chicken ball Z. Uh, and you couldn't, oh. uh, you couldn't really do much to dissuade me from that opinion. But I, 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 think, uh, I think it's fair to say a nugget is any, like, clump of meat that isn't, that isn't uh, at least vaguely sphere-shaped. It's interesting because I took logic in college, which was one of the hardest classes I ever took. I was horrible at it. Really hard class. I have no idea what the fuck was going on in that class. But I think... This would be posited as like, if A is B, then B must be A, right? Yeah. A, arrow, B, arrow, whatever. The, I don't know. Something like I that. I didn't realize it was so mathematical when I took the class. I thought I was getting away with murder by taking it, but uh, ended up getting fucking murdered myself. So, no, I would agree with Chris, Kevin. A chicken nugget is not a meatball because a meatball is indeed not a chicken nugget. But I love chicken nuggets and I love meatballs. I will yeah. say that. I love them both. They're both fantastic. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Let's get into what we're playing. Chris, I'll kick it to you. You're playing Resident Evil 3. Talk to me about it. Yeah, Resident Evil 3. Yeah, I've been messing around with it. I, I, I've gotten through, I believe, about half of it, since a lot of people are saying it's pretty short. It's good. It's, it plays well. It's, it's a fun little Resident Evil game. I will say that I think... Because Resident Evil 2 Remake is so uh, unusually spectacular, not only because survival horror as a genre has been particularly, you know, 
abandoned uh, lately, and and in in the recent generations, our horror games have gotten a little bit worse with a few standouts in like PT and you know obviously probably the most recent Resident Evil, which which was pretty praised. Uh, Resident Evil Two Remake was a very very cool reintroduction of that genre with old school style design and very very contained claustrophobic uh, tones. And Resident Evil Three Remake is just not really that kind of game, and I it, largely because I think the original Resident Evil Three was not that kind of a game either. Uh, it feels a lot more actiony. It feels a lot more like a Resident Evil Four or like a Resident Evil Five kind of like, hey, here's some action to throw in your survival horror. There is there are some horror elements in there, but I don't think they're nearly as well delivered. I think how they handled Nemesis, uh, the main antagonist of this one, is a bit more lackluster than Mr. X was in the previous. But, you know, I've seen a lot of, like, really negative reviews. I don't know if I really agree with that. I just think it's not as strong of a title as Resident Evil 2 was. But I'm enjoying it so far. I I just hit Carlos as part of the campaign, so I'm not sure how far in that is. I've heard it's half, but as far as I know, that's where I'm at. There is a trophy for beating the game in under two hours, which is interesting. So, yeah. I'm Seems sure like a game I, it, that could be speed run. It definitely feels a lot more possible. So we'll see how that all goes. I have noticed, though, to what you're saying, like the, the game has been reviewing, I think, demonstrably lower. I don't know if that's all going to balance out when the, the scores start trickling in more. But I did, like I said last week, I did find it surprising that Capcom just sent me the game because I didn't ask for it. And I also haven't talked to Capcom in a long time. And also they didn't send me like the Mega Man ZX collection or anything. So it was just surprising to to kind of get that message from them. And I don't know if that was, uh, you know, in thinking about it, I was like, is that a reflection on the game's coverage? Like, are they just trying to get this thing into more people's hands yeah. to try to balance everything out? I don't know. I must admit, by the way, just as an aside, because Final Fantasy VII Remake comes out soon. By the time we do the next episode, it'll be out. It's up for pre-order, and I wanted to pre-order it and buy it, you know, buy it and pre-order it and preload it. But I did, I was saying last week that I don't typically reach out to publishers. I actually did reach out to Square to see if I can get the game just because and they said that they might give it to me. So it wasn't really helpful to me just because I've been in a situation where I've pre-bought and preloaded a game and then got a code and you can't you can't use it. Then you just have to wait like you can't unlock the game early. Yeah. So I was afraid I was going to get in that position. It is a little frustrating that everyone is playing it, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a little weird. It's a little annoying to me. But uh, Larry Seitz wrote into us and said, with me being not quite sure if I want to buy Resident Evil 3 or continue to chip away at my backlog during the stay at home orders, I went and read and watched some reviews to help me make a decision on RE3. Last place I looked was on Metacritic to see a collective score, which was at 80 for PS4. But for the Xbox One, the Metacritic score for Resident Evil 3 was 84. Then after some quick searching around, I began to notice a trend. Xbox One third party games scored from a range of one to seven points from what I found higher than their PS4 counterparts. With them being the exact same game, why does this happen? With some developers getting a bonus from high Metacritic scores, this seems entirely off that a PS4 version could be seven points lower. Do you have any insight on this? Thanks for making Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays great again. We're doing our best. Larry, thank you. I've noticed this too, Chris. You you play Xbox One a hell of a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. Why do you think this is? Do, do the third party games typically run better on the uh, Xbox One these days? Um, I If you're talking about Xbox One X, then probably I think that's, a, that's pretty certain. Uh, I know that if... I know that the way that I think about where I'm going to play a third-party game, like if, if if a game comes out on both platforms, typically I'm going to get it on the Xbox One X just because I know that it's the strongest machine and I'm probably getting the most 
performance out of that copy. Uh, I don't know if that really would account for any discrepancies in Metacritic delay, because surely not everybody reviewing games on Xbox One on Metacritic are running on an Xbox One X. They so Surely they could be running on a, a One S, or maybe the original, God forbid, they were working on the original v, 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 uh, VCR version. I think... I think it might have something to do with Xbox Live being a bit more competent, maybe a little bit more... Uh, I, I've, I have noticed in some games, not all games, but on, on PlayStation 4, whenever I get an update for something, I always have to copy the update file, and for whatever reason, the copying of the update file takes, like, ages. I don't know if you've seen this at all. Uh, it's primarily a problem in Destiny and games like that that update pretty frequently. But it might just come down to that kind of user experience and maybe the slight performance boost on One X. But outside of that, I really can't. I can't say that they're all that different. That they would amount to that big of a of a discrepancy in in rating. Like Resident Evil Three is surely the same game on both platforms. Yeah, I update in the background, so I don't typically see that stuff come through. And like I like you said, I don't play a lot of games as service either. So. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the games I play don't even get updated at all or up, just get updated once where they could be like Twin Breaker where we, we released, I think, four patches for it already. But with... Well, let me back up because when Larry asks about the Xbox One discrepancy, what originally came to mind for me, Chris, was maybe it's an evangelical press, like an, ex, an evangelical Xbox press. But that can't possibly be true because you would... Th- In other words, like Xbox-centric websites and then PlayStation-centric websites... But you would think that they would be equally evangelical for their platforms or not, and then balance each other out in some way. So that can't possibly account for the discrepancy. The other thing that might be relevant, like you said, is the Series X versus Pro, or that's right, right? Series... The One X versus the PS4 Pro. One X, right, versus PS4 Pro. Getting confused now, getting old. That maybe there is a discrepancy there. I will say at IGN that we would often play on a lead platform... When I was there, I'd, I'd always pretty much play on PlayStation and we would just then check the game quickly on the other platforms to make sure it worked right, played for like a half an hour and then and then copy the reviews over. So it doesn't seem like the discrepancy can come from there either. So I, I think somewhere in there is some or is a group of people playing the game on one platform, a group of people playing the game on the other platform and then coming up with these different seemingly random decisions i guess i don't know unless the things have changed i mean i haven't been i was thinking about this actually i quit ign like five plus years ago it's unbelievable how how much time has flown but anyway larry thank you for your inquiry chris i want to get into resident evil 3 we have to because or i have to because i think that will be the next spoiler cast we do after twin breaker but i'm not worried about it right now i actually sat down and played a lot of vita the last week And so I jumped into Adventures of Mana, which I think I talked about last weekend. Adventures of Mana is a remake of the classic Game Boy game that we knew as Final Fantasy Adventure, but that was known as Seiken Densetsu. It's the first Mana game in Japan. And so I had played through it a little bit when it came out to Vita in 2016. And I ran, I I think I told everyone I ran into a game-breaking bug and stopped playing it. And so then I just downloaded it again. I played it through and I actually got the Platinum Trophy in it. It's fine. It's, you know, it's a nice way to spend the time with Trials of Mana coming up soon. It was just something that I kind of wanted to do. And I think I'll play Secret of Mana next. Uh, But last night, I actually it's been in my Vita forever, the card. So I just was like, ah, fuck it. I'll I'll boot it up. I started playing Killzone Mercenary again. And uh, 
I really forgot how how excellent that game is for it's got that's got to be one of Vita's best games. And I actually did review it, I think, on IGN. I want to look this up real quick. I, I should have done this before we began. But what did I give it? What did I give this game, Killzone Mercenary? I gave it an eight. I don't know that I, I think it might even deserve a higher score than that. It's it's super interesting in the sense that it just it's one of those games that really understood what Vita was all about. It has right. like a nice campaign and, and great control scheme. It looks great. Runs a little a little slogging in terms of the way it runs, but it's all about just earning money and, and being, as the name suggests, a mercenary. So everything you do in the game like earns you money. And it's there's something about that, like where it's like if you get a headshot, you earn money. If you pick up ammo, you earn money. If you hack a computer, you earn money and and all this kind of stuff. And then you use it to buy more goods. And, and the money carries over between all of the different modes, like the campaign and the bot zone and multiplayer. So I don't know. I, I was just I was enjoying playing it. And so I started a veteran campaign just to knock out some of the trophies and I'm enjoying it. So it's I've just been in this Vita mode and I'm, I guess I'm kind of in stasis because I really want to play Final Fantasy seven. <laughs> That's like the game I really I'm really interested in. But we have to wait a few more days, it looks like. So everyone out there in Australia, I, it, this is one of the ironic things where like the people that bought a physical copy of the game actually won for once. So I guess that we owe it to them. And people have been making a lot of funny points about Final Fantasy VII Remake that we never expected it to come out, and now it's the only game that's coming out. So yeah, that, was a kind that, of is. A, that is kind of an ironic uh, and funny thing. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, Brian wrote into us and said, Good afternoon, gentlemen. Just wondering how Colin was coming along on his JRPG a month trek. I know you were playing Final Fantasy VIII, but I feel like we haven't heard an update in weeks. Keep up the great work and stay safe. So Adventures of Man Accounts, that is a JRPG, so that's two out of the way for the year. I did start Final Fantasy VIII in early March, but I stopped playing. I just didn't. I don't know. It just wasn't jiving with me after about an hour. I will get back to it. I'd like to get back to it. I do want. I haven't seen that game all the way through in forever. It is a game that I really should play all the way through and refresh my memory. But I think Final Fantasy VII will be the next game on that list. And then Sir Deathspank wrote into us, Chris. Is this a reference to Deathspank the game? I would assume so. It better be. Remember that game? I do remember that game. I actually really liked it for some, <laughs> such a strange title. It was weird. It was like this weird hack and slash RPG with like humor. Yeah. Like co- comedy script. And there was a sequel, but I didn't play the sequel, but I did play the original. I think it came out 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah, it was definitely in that era. He said, greetings from Ottawa, sir, as he's a Canadian. Following Colin's idea, I have played and beaten one JRPG a month since January. Last month, I started on Trails of Cold Steel 2. Last week, my save file got corrupted and a little part of me died inside. My question for you is, what is the most painful save file you have ever lost? That sucks. Damn. Um, that does happen and it, and it does suck. That's why using the cloud is so essential. You guys have to use the cloud and send your saves to the cloud. I do that every time I stop playing a game in which I care about the save, whether on PS4 or Vita. And you can actually set it to do that automatically, but I do it manually because I don't trust it. <laughs> to do it automatically uh, automatically because we've all lost saves can you think of any saves that you've lost chris or that have been corrupted from your past oh i'm sure i think i lost a skyrim save like really early on which was kind of frustrating because i was like tw- like i think it was like 15 hours in which isn't really that long into skyrim uh compared to like what the overall package is but it was frustrating enough that i was like oh man i just started this thing and i put enough hours into this thing to like really get going on, on this track and now i'm like now I got to do it all again and like 
I can't even start over. It's it's not even like when you start over an, uh, an RPG or a game like that, like a few years later where like you kind of forget the little details. It's just like, oh, man, it's like watching a movie again. It's like watching a 15 hour movie, just picking all the choices that you you already made to get to where you were for 15 straight hours. It's terrible. Yeah, it sucks. It, it when when things like that happen, because I just talked about Adventures of Mana where my save broke and that just put me I, that put me off the game for four years. You know, until I went back and even when I was playing it again, I was like, oh, God, I remember doing all this. It, it is grueling. And obviously, the further in that this happens, the uh, the more likely it, it, it will uh, be of destructive nature in terms of your enjoyment of the game. But I think the important thing is, again, send your saves to the cloud. And also, if you have one of those games like Adventures of Mana is one of these games where it's like you can make a bunch of different save files. So every few hours, just cycle into a new box or whatever. That way you can not lose your progress that way as well a lot of games let you do that but it is it is terrible when that happens what comes to mind for me is that i think i've told this story on some show at some point back when my parents got divorced in the early 90s my dad right right after that was dating this woman this random woman who had two kids and um i hated her kids and actually she one the, the girl was my age and we actually went to high school together and would like reminisce about those days later but it, was, it wasn't so funny at the time and uh she had a little brother his name was brandon and uh, he so I used to like leave my SNES on and like, you know, play games and then like pause it and like go play and like be with my friends and then come back. And I came back one day and he had he had reset my SNES that I was playing Link to the Past on and then erased all of the save files on it. I had like a perfect save with all the items and all the hearts and all this kind of stuff. And I fucking lost it. Like I went absolutely ballistic on this kid. I think I was in like third or fourth grade or something like that. And uh, I think I scared the shit out of everyone. With yeah. my uh, passion. <laughs> no, that would uh, that, that's infuriating. Yeah, it was it was like a ridiculous thing because I was like, why would you not only you shut it off? Right. But why would you erase the battery? <laughs> it seems like so malicious for no reason. Yeah, I hated that motherfucker. He was a little loser. <laughs> little, little fuck. But uh, it is funny because when I would rent games and I've definitely talked about this on the show when I would rent cartridge games from the video store i would always erase all of the saves on them that I, that were there just to clear them out and have my own way to work around but then if you brought back like an rpg and your time was up and you didn't have any money or you you know you needed to wait you would hope for like a week that your save survived so you can continue it's like a totally different era before we had memory cards yeah. so it's like a totally different way of playing games it's interesting it was in that space between like passwords on the nes and then obviously memory cards on PS1 and N64. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. All righty. Big piece of news this week. Really big. Number one, predictably, Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part 2, initially slated for release on May 29th, has been delayed. Worse yet, it's been delayed indefinitely, meaning Sony has yet to identify when it might opt to launch the most eagerly anticipated PS4 exclusive in the console's life cycle. Word comes by way of a tweet from the official PlayStation account, which notes that the delay is seemingly due to the printing of the game physically. Quote, Logistically, the global crisis is preventing us from providing the launch experience our players deserve, end quote, the tweet says in part. On the official PlayStation broadcast, Naughty Dog VP and creative lead of The Last of Us said, uh, Neil Druckmann said, according to relayed word from Push Square, that, quote, we know we have a great game, but we just have to wait a little longer to get it to our fans. I know fans are disappointed, but we're just as disappointed, if not more so. We're at the one yard line. There are still some bugs that we're finding and we want to be able to polish it as much as we can. The game is there. That's the frustrating part. We just have to sit on it for a little bit and figure out the best way to get it to our fans, end quote. 
The company also delayed the second-party PSVR exclusive game Iron Man VR indefinitely, too. Iron Man VR is under development at Republic developer Camouflage and was initially slated to come out even sooner on May 15th. A follow-up tweet noted, quote, currently there are no other delays to report, but we'll keep you updated, end quote. Sony's messaging conspicuously ignores Ghost of Tsushima, which is due to come to PS4 on June 26th. If Sony is experiencing logistical problems with May releases, it's safe to assume they'll be facing those logistical problems with Ghost of Tsushima too. Though it's possible Sony's plan is simply to have The Last of Us Part 2 leapfrog Ghost of Tsushima while leaving it in place. Chris, this is big news. And by the way, I did predict this. I'm sorry to say. That is true. I did tell you guys that this was going to happen. What do you think of this? This is a really controversial piece of news and certainly unfortunate for all of us that are most of us that are looking forward to playing this game, arguably the biggest PS4 exclusive there is. What do you say? Yeah, I think uh, I'm not surprised by this. I feel like this game. How many delays is this for The Last of Us? It feels like a lot. I think this is I think this might be the third something like that. Maybe the fourth. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's been a trend lately and especially because like they they delayed it this year again like after like i think it was like a few days after they launched the release date for the first time so i'm not really that surprised necessarily that this of all games is getting delayed i think what surprises me more honestly is the fact that iron man is getting delayed because it's like that's a psvr game you'd kind of assume that the install base is already kind of like low comparatively you'd think that you'd be able to get away with like a a digital release for a game like that, just fine. But uh, like, I don't know. Do they even sell PSVR games on disc? Yeah, they do. I don't know if there's not many of them, but I do wonder if this had to do with a bundle that I think might have been being planned. Oh, maybe. As well. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting. I think um, I think w- the most interesting part of all this is watching people lose their shit and like be really angry with Naughty Dog about this, even though it's very clearly not their fault, at least not this time. Yeah, it seems like some people don't understand like the the order of operations. I, I am intrigued by the idea of releasing the game digitally, and I, I do understand that that's an option, but they just don't seem to want to do that. And I understand that. First of all, they probably have, they could conceivably have millions of pre-orders for the game physically, first of all. And... Second, and they actually in, in the space in between when I was writing this and when we're recording, they actually removed the game entirely from the store. You can't even pre-order it. So on digital anymore on PSM. Oh, wow. So I don't know. I, I'm a little I'm a, well, let me say this. I'm a little wary of what they're of what they're saying and how they're positioning all of this. I don't know if they're being entirely forthright about what's going on. The reason I think that is. Well, the reason that 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 wouldn't be is because Iron Man is delayed, too. So it does seem to suggest that there is a manufacturing problem. I totally understand that. But Neil Druckmann's appearance on the official PlayStation blog when he's talking about how they found some bugs and all this. So they want to polish it. Is that just them saying that they still have work to do? Is that them trying to buy more time for the game? And then also, I, I don't think what can be understated is that The Last of Us's subject matter is not good for this moment in history and i i wonder if that played into it as well and that maybe i mean this is very conspiratorial but that maybe iron man just kind of fell victim to that too being like well let's delay them both and then people can't accuse us of anything oh about that Uh, i don't know i don't know if the last of us is is explicitly so focused on 
I know the backdrop. I know, like, objectively speaking, like, when you put it down on pen on a pen and paper, like, write it all out. Yeah, it's about, like, a virus. But, like, I don't... That's not even really the first thing that comes across to me, like, when I think of The Last of Us. It's, like, about zombies, sure, like, infected. But I, I don't think... I, I don't really see that as, like, a tonal thing. Like, I don't know if this is equivalent to, like, hey, we're about to release... Blow buildings up with planes, the video game on like, you know, September 20th, 2001. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a one-to-one tonal issue like that. I, I think they'd be fine to release a game like that now, especially because so many people are looking forward to it. And it's, it's such a big property that I feel like a lot of people would especially appreciate right now, you know? Yeah, I think that it's just a good distraction from the world. I also think that The Last of Us Part 2 takes place so far after the pandemic in the game yeah. that it doesn't really even seem to be about that anymore. No, but, exactly. But maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it seems to be much more about religion and philosophy and survival and stuff, but that's just what I've garnered from a few of the trailers. Austin, Austin Scott, I almost wasn't able to say his name, wrote in and said, Hey, Eminem, Colin, you have said multiple times that you want a year without new releases. Now games are getting delayed indefinitely. Is this what you wanted or is your ability to will things into existence more like a monkey's paw? Are you jealous of Chris's ability to summon things without horrible or ironic consequences? Best of luck surviving this apocalypse you've wrought. I have often <laughs> said that, that I want a year with no new releases. I've said that for a long time, long before this year, just to catch up on all the games that we've uh, missed out on. And uh, but I, I don't want it like this. I mean, this is this is, un- <laughs> you know, this is unfortunate. I, you know, I didn't want it to come at the uh, the edge of a pandemic, let's say so. No, Austin, this is not what I want. I'm not jealous of Chris's abilities to summon things. I, I, I am happy for his ability to summon these things. Salvador kind of, Rivera. What'd you say? No, I just think it is. It is kind of funny that uh, th- that you did kind of will this upon. Although, in fairness, we have had a, like a lot of new releases this year already. Actually, if you really if you really want to get technical about it, we've had uh, kind of a lot in the last like month or two. It's been pretty great. Yeah, the, it, we've gotten like the imminent releases and it's I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like everything's going to be all fucked up now. I don't know how any of this is going to work moving forward, yeah. but we'll see. Anthony Gigi wrote into us, Chris, and said, hey, Colin and Chris. So you're probably going to get a lot of write ins about The Last of Us being pushed indefinitely. We did. But what does this mean for PS5? Could you see Sony delaying this game until the fall along with Ghost of Tsushima and delay the PS5 to 2021? You have to assume that the games they have planned for the PS5 launch won't be ready if everyone is working remotely and not at full capacity. Or what they could do is use these flagship titles to promote PS5 backwards compatibility with PS4 and use them as launch games if the PS5 won't be delayed. What do you think? Chris, do you believe in this cascading effect that might affect Ghost of Tsushima and then in turn might progress or, or might affect PS5 and so on and so forth? I, I don't know if I'm really all that convinced that the machines are going to be delayed. I think... I th- maybe I'm just being like thrown off by the w- by the way that Phil Spencer's been talking about it, but like surely if the supply lines are back to normal or as or or at least like back uh, to a, a working capacity in a way that doesn't necessarily spell a, a definite delay for Microsoft's machine, I don't think the same would be true. Like I, I don't see why the same wouldn't be true for Sony's machine. I do think though that it would probably be smart to maybe if at this point the last of us is still uncertain maybe 
maybe do a backwards compatibility launch PS5 thing, although I feel like that would be, like, really confusing. Uh, there's no real good way to go about this, because this this is such an unprecedented time, not only from just the way things have progressed with the pandemic, but also just from a from a console launching standpoint. It's just such a unique period to launch a new machine. These machines are so different in a lot of ways and yet somehow kind of familiar to the machines that we have now we're, we're on the cusp of a incrementally upgrading console generation there's no playbook that's written for this kind of scenario or this kind of launch so i just feel like they're just probably gonna have to honestly they're probably just gonna have to wing it like i don't know how you plan for this kind of thing yeah it's tough i don't know i just don't know what the plan is i think that that like i said earlier the follow-up tweet to the tweet that announced the delay of the game says that there are no other delays to announce but they'll keep everyone peeled if the if production is a problem for the last of us part two and iron man vr then i really don't see how it's not going to be a problem for ghost of tsushima as well so unless things like really clear up i mean they're, they're not even a month separated from each other those two games releases so i don't know chris we're going to see what happens, but this is unfortunate news. Yeah. Nonetheless. And I could see a piggybacking thing. Like I could see, or a, rather a leapfrogging thing where the last of us leapfrogs, Ghost of Tsushima, Ghost of Tsushima stays, um, which I think would have been smarter. I think it's smarter to get Ghost of Tsushima out first. So this might've actually unintentionally worked out for them. Yeah. But uh, you and I do disagree though. I, I do think PS5 is going to get knocked out of this year. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a good point that Anthony makes, Chris, that I never thought of. I guess I, I don't know why I didn't think of this, but He does bring it up and it is salient. There are game. We're going to talk about some of them. There are some game delays that are happening already because of remote teams. People are worried about cyberpunk and all these other things, but we'll talk about a few specific examples of games getting delayed out of there and knocked out of their windows because people are working remotely. And if this is happening on PS5 launch games, then even if the hardware is ready to go, the games might not be ready. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem. So I just see I don't see how this is all going to come together by the end of the year, but we'll worry about that later. Hopefully we'll have some more news on that uh, soon. Corey Wyatt wrote into us and said is, oh, this is an interesting one. He says, is Sony setting up a delay of PS5 due to COVID Corona uh, Chinese virus with delaying The Last of Us 2 and likely Ghost? I cannot imagine any company wanting to drop a $500 completely discretionary product in the beginning of a worldwide depression. This is another interesting thought here what he's basically it's a little conspiratorial but what he's saying is is that are they are they starting to set up this like i said earlier a cascade because of the economy and the the possibility of an economic well we're certainly going to be in a recession but the possibility even of a depression because of the coronavirus that is a good point chris you don't want to release a console in this environment oh yeah if things don't improve yeah i would say the smart thing to do would be to push it to march uh, at the at the earliest, just so you have some at the very least some leeway of like if this thing gets solved this year, you have some time for people to bounce back or at least enough people to maybe bounce back or get to a position where like they might be able to scrounge up the cash or something like this. But as far as like because the initial concern was like, oh, the supply lines are going to be the thing that makes it impossible for these machines to come out. I I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's very possible and very easy now for these machines to be built and be released for fall of this year. But 
whether or not they're delayed or not is entirely based on you know what a, what the company chooses to do not necessarily what they're forced to do by a lack of functioning supply lines they could be setting up a delay although i don't know why they're being coy about it they could just uh, they haven't even really showed they haven't showed the machine yet like at this point i i was expecting this mach- the, the playstation 5 to be delayed honestly before this because they were so tight-lipped <laughs> part of me was just like yeah this thing's not coming out this year i guess but yeah, I, I think they probably should delay. That would be the smart move. There is a, uh, I'm not, we're not, I didn't put it in the news because it's like so, it's so uh, in the weeds. But on Eurogamer Digital Foundry, there's an interview with Mark Cerny where they say they're going to do a full teardown of the console this year, which I believe and I would hope so we can actually see like really learn more about what's inside of it and the specific components apart from the 52 minute presentation that they already did. I don't know if they're not saying anything because they don't want to like lose momentum. And it does make sense that if they are planning internally to delay the console, that you would then want to push the last two games out as far as possible on PS4 so that you have something maybe in the late summer and early fall. But the the economic concern is real because we've talked a lot on this show, and I think people understand this inherently. The reason that the console generation, the PS3 and 360 console generation was so long was because of the recession that happened during the middle of it. Otherwise, we would have gotten PS4 and Xbox One sooner. And so it must work in the inverse as well, that generations will be prolonged if there is a recession or depression, especially if that happens at the end of a console generation. And $500 in discretionary spending, of course, is going to be something you don't want to do if there is a worldwide economic downturn, which seems, I mean, it's already happening. Who knows if we recover later on but i don't know it, it's it's there's a lot of interesting stuff to consider here a lot of it is conspiratorial conspirat- and we don't really know anything for sure we kind of just have to take what sony's saying at face value i think that the next thing we have to keep an eye on is just what happens to ghost of tsushima and we're gonna have to learn about that probably in the next three or four weeks i would assume they would have to lock the game in and go gold and start producing it so we'll we'll know more soon but if I were a betting man, as I like to say, I would say Ghost of Tsushima is going to get delayed as well. Yeah. If 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 indeed what they are concerned about is getting games out physically and digitally at the same time. And it it's easy to like a part of me wants to make fun of the people that get physical games and be like, it's your fault. We're not getting the fucking game on time. But at the same time, it's just not possible for some of these people to get the game unless they buy it physically. And, and for that, I understand. And I wouldn't want to release I understand what Sony's doing. I wouldn't want to release a game in that environment either, where there's like haves and have nots based entirely on your internet connection. It kind of does suck. Yeah, no, totally. So I am sympathetic to that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do 
is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number two. A purportedly verified rumor from website Video Game Chronicle reports that Resident Evil 8 is en route for both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, as well as other platforms, and is due out from publisher slash developer Capcom in 2021. Like Resident Evil 7, according to the website, the game will take place from the first person perspective, a stark departure from pre-Resident Evil 7 mainline games. And interestingly, Resident Evil 8 was actually supposed to be Resident Evil Revelations 3, a follow up to the popular episodic Resident Evil game that came to PS3, PS4 and Vita back in 2015. So lots of Resident Evil news. Yeah. Recently, Resident Evil 2 last year, Resident Evil 3 this year, Resident Evil 7 actually the year before or two years before, and then Resident Evil 8 next year. I I know you're not a super firm believer of the first person perspective. So how do you feel about this uh, purportedly confirmed rumor? Uh, I think it's fine. I think honestly, I'm probably once I'm done with Resident Evil 3, I'm probably going to head back to Resident Evil 7 because I probably didn't really give it that fair of a shot. Uh, especially because I would I would argue like when I touched Resident Evil Seven, I wasn't really that big or that immersed into that into the franchise at all. Like the last Resident Evil game I played before that was Resident Evil Four on like I don't even know like the GameCube in like two thousand and six. So like it's it's been a it's been a minute uh, since I've really been all that into it. But now I'm kind of like I'm in I'm in it. Like it's it's all fresh in my head. Like the lore is in my mind. The characters are fresh in my head. And just the the general world building is just sort of fresh to me. So I think if I probably touch Resident Evil 7 again, I'll probably get over that initial first person janky kind of hump and probably enjoy it. I think uh, I don't really mind that they're going in this direction, especially because 7 was so well received. It makes sense that they would continue. Yeah, I don't dislike this idea. I really like Resident Evil 7 a lot. And keeping it in the first person perspective, it felt fluid and right. And... I think it adds to the horror, too, of not being able to really see your body and getting away from that more traditional Resident Evil look and feel. So, yeah, it is a little strange that it was supposed to be Resident Evil Revelations 3. Resident Evil Revelations, I think, was third person. So they are, that is a little weird. I, I don't like I mean, I, I guess I'm not against it because it does happen in good ways sometimes, too. But like taking a game that was supposed to be something else and then making it into this other thing or mainlining it. Um, I don't know if they're doing that because it speaks more to what Resident Evil, the core biohazard franchise is, or if they just don't want to continue the Revelations franchise at all. But that seems to be a little peculiar, especially because Revelations was always kind of like budget compared to the core Resident Evil franchise. So I'm sure that it's not going to be budget if and when it comes out in 2021, as the rumor suggests. But it also suggests that it's cross generation. So we have to keep our expectations a little bit in check about what we're going to get here. But highly recommended Resident Evil 7. People haven't played it out there. Excellent game. Number three, Sony has confirmed April's PlayStation Plus games, which we reported on during last week's episode via a reliable leak from PlayStation Access. 
The two free games will indeed be Uncharted 4 Thief's End, Naughty Dog's 2016 conclusion of the Uncharted series, and Dirt Rally 2.0, 2019's popular racing game from Codemasters. If you have an active PlayStation Plus account, be sure to add both games to your download list before the end of the month, even if you don't intend on playing them now or ever, just so you have the option later on. Michael B. wrote in and said, Hello, isolated Chris and business as usual, Colin. I'm rather disappointed in Sony at the moment. Not for the delays? That's completely understandable. No, what I'm disappointed in is their PS Plus games for April. Uncharted 4, sure, some racing game, whatever, but that's it? Really? When the whole world is stuck at home, you can't throw a few more games in there? A couple of indies, a PSVR game, Sony giving out two games a month for $10 a month while just five do- for $5 more. Xbox gives you four games and Game Pass for both console and PC is bad enough. But now of all times, they continue to be stingy. Are you guys as disappointed by this as I am? This is especially resonant, I think, Chris, because one of these games is a first party game. So it's not like they're taking any sort of hit by making it available. Yeah. Would you have wanted to see Sony maybe give us a little bit more this month as a a nice gesture? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in general, the whole PlayStation Plus kind of the, the games that you get with it and, and this kind of service that they've been kind of touting for a while, I, I, I do feel like it's a bit dated now compared to like what other platforms are doing. It, it does pale pretty, pretty drastically in comparison with what Microsoft is doing with their with their subscription based services. And I think it's probably the area where Sony is losing the most is in just customer satisfaction as far as service goes. But um, I don't know. I, I, I was saying for a while that I really think that they should. I, I know that this would probably like fuck up a lot of a lot of their books and maybe like make things kind of a nightmare behind the scenes. But I really do think that they should have. They should have bundled in PS Now with PS Plus, like from the beginning. That that's that would have, to me, at least, at the very least, like even if people had to pay a little bit more for like a premium PlayStation Plus, I feel like that would be a lot more of a of a value and drive a lot more people to use the damn thing than it currently is. Because I, I know that they saw a boost in users for PS Now when they lowered the price, but I, I still feel like you've invested all this money into figuring out how to stream shit. And you've invested all this money in like this technology. Why would you want to gate it away from the majority of your player base, especially when it could boon your service potential and your and your value potential and your value proposition for the the PS Plus as a service? I just always found it bizarre that they just kind of ignore PS Now in the way that they do. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that's a good point. Because that would really bring a lot of added value just inherently yeah. to the whole package or have some sort of permutation, like you said, of which you can add these things in. But I think the only reason that they might not have done this is, is frankly, a shrewd move if you're worrying about the bottom line, as they are, which is people are going to buy more games right now because they need to. So why would you give them anything for free above and beyond what you are already going to give them anyway? There is right. something to be said about that. And I don't know that that's really a wise thing for from a consumer standpoint. Obviously, it sucks. But if you are Sony, then certainly it's understandable in this downturn why you want to extract as much money out of people as possible. So it's a little bit of column A and column B for me. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it's a good point uh, that maybe it would have been a nice thing to just be like, hey, we have a little bit more to give you guys. We know you're locked inside and unable to do things. And a lot of you don't have any money to spend because you got furloughed or laid off and sucks and that's just the case number four the mojang developed microsoft published minecraft game minecraft dungeons has an official release date on ps4 and elsewhere 
though it'll be coming about a month later than initially planned. The procedurally generated hack and slash game that takes place in the Minecraft world will launch on PlayStation 4 on May 26th. Mojang is, of course, the studio behind Minecraft itself, a developer which Microsoft wisely purchased back in 2014 for $2.5 billion. The game is built on Unreal Engine 4, and it supports both local and online play. Do you have any interest in this game? No, <laughs> not even. Yeah, me neither. I, I just don't like dungeon crawlers in, in this vein, like the whole isometric, noisy kind of kill skeletons in a dark place. Eh, I don't know. Like I've played Diablo like I like it. It's fine. I, I, this is just not my genre at all, and especially because Minecraft Dungeons and a lot of modern games like it just seem so hectic to look at. Just like visually, it's like really noisy. And I remember thinking that that was just a Minecraft Dungeons thing. But then I started doing research on the, like just like the genre in general. And it's like, yeah, it's, it just looks like a like a hodgepodge of just nonsense. It's weird because it seems so stripped down. I understand. I mean, Minecraft is a simplistic game. It's for it's for everyone, but it's really for children. And but there's like no character classes and like everyone can equip everything. And stuff. it just seems like really ill conceived in some way. But I don't know. Maybe maybe people will like it. It doesn't do it for me. I don't care about Minecraft at all. So not a huge surprise there. Number five, another game from a Microsoft owned developer in Exiles Wasteland 3 has also been delayed. The deep role playing game was originally slated for a launch in mid-May, but has been pushed back to August 28th, according to a post from the series official Twitter feed. The delay comes in part because in Exile has like virtually all other developers been forced to work remotely, slowing progress on the final product. However, it seems basically guaranteed that Wasteland 3 will hit its late August release date, with publisher Deep Silver still distributing the game. Wasteland 3 was in development before the Microsoft acquisition, so it remains unclear if this will be Exile's final game on PlayStation platforms. Wasteland is famously the series that spawned the beloved Fallout franchise. The last Wasteland game to come out was Wasteland 2, which originally came to PS4 in the fall of 2015. Wasteland's a little too hardcore for me. I played Wasteland 2. It's a little too deep. Oh, for yeah. my, my taste. Did you ever play these games? No, I, I had the same inkling that you just pretty much verified. It, it seemed very, very hardcore, and I'm just not... I'm not that hardcore of an RPG person. Like, I have, like all my friends currently play Dungeons & Dragons, and it's like, I can't. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not going to drop a sheet with a bunch of stats, and I, I, I don't want to do that. Just, just give me a video game. Give me, give me, a, give me a Skyrim or something, <laughs> or a Witcher 3 or something that I could just put on and just go about my day with. I don't, I don't need to do like copious amounts of trigonometry before I start a, <laughs> a role-playing session. Yeah. It, I mean, I appreciate depth in games and I think that games can be as deep as you want them to be. And there's a game for everyone. But for yeah. me, I just can't get down with the, uh, just the serious amount of depth yeah. found in some of these games. It's just, it's not fun to me. I'm sure it's probably while. great. Like uh, for the people who are into that stuff. And I'm sure it's probably like a huge value uh, for what you're getting if you're getting that much depth out of a single game that's probably like really great but i just i have so many games to play that the prospect of having one game that doubles is like 50 just kind of ah I, I can't i can't do that it's, it's anxiety inducing yeah i don't have the patience to learn these games i think that's i think it's a me problem i mean obviously it's a me problem yeah but i don't have the patience to like sit there and be like i don't even know like what the fuck is going on in this game dude like it's it's just I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't want my games to become like a full time job, you know, yeah, for I'd sure. rather enjoy enjoy playing them. So there is a line in which the depth becomes too much for me and I typically stray in the other direction with some. There's a perfect balance. Like I always found the final like Final Fantasy Tactics and some games like that. that that's like a, about as deep as I want it. 
where you kind of have like a party of characters. Each of them have their own equipment and skills and magic and everything. And then you're on a grid and turn base and stuff. That's that's good depth for me. But there's yeah. something about Wasteland. I just I don't know. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it when I played it. Hmm. All right. Number six. For many years, Sony conducted an internal program called XDev out of studios like Sony Santa Monica and Sony London. XDev stood for external development, and you'd often see the XDev logo before games from Sony's prominent second party partners like Quantic Dream, Housemark, Supermassive, and before they were purchased and became first party, studios like Media Molecule and Evolution 2. According to a Japanese press release from Sony, as relayed by Gamatsu, it appears that Sony will now be doing more organized external development out of its fully owned Studio Japan in Tokyo. Within that sprawling team, an external development department has been established, with parts of the organization now pulled in to help that department, including the internal development department, finance and administration department, and creative services department. Two other departments, product technology and business development, have essentially been absorbed and eliminated. Kazuo Kato will be heading up this new initiative, having supervisory and production credits on a lot of first and second party games coming out of Japan Studio, including On the Last Guardian, Shadow of the Colossus, Gravity Rush, Gravity Rush 2, Knack, and others. Naoki Aoi, Naoki Aoi, with credits on games like Freedom Wars, Knack Rain, and the recent PSVR game Dresene, will be in charge of the department's administration and finance. So hopefully we'll be getting, what this basically means is that hopefully we'll be getting a lot more second party games from Japanese teams as uh, through a conduit at Studio Japan. So that's pretty exciting. And that was a really underreported piece of news. I didn't see that reported too many places. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, I'm excited about that a lot. Japan is going through a really interesting game renaissance after so many bad years. And that renaissance has been ongoing for a while now. But Japan, Japanese uh, development was in a really dire place for a while. And so it's good to see this resurgence happening out east. Number seven, E3 2020 may be canceled, but the dates for E3 2021 have been revealed. The ESA, the lobbying group that owns and runs E3, Reveal the dates of June 15th through June 17th of 2021 to its various publisher and developer partners. And it seems that the organization is keen to follow through with its plans for a so-called reimagined E3 experience. This news comes on the back of word that Gamescom, the massive consumer and media show that takes place in Germany each summer, will have a massive digital offering during its planned run dates of August 25th through August 29th, though the show may not take place in person. The organizers of Gamescom will make that determination in mid-May, according to a press release based on the conditions of the coronavirus, both domestically and globally. Meanwhile, publisher Bethesda has made some substantial announcements, including that QuakeCon 2020, which was actually set to happen before Gamescom from August 6th through 9th, has been canceled. And Bethesda's head of marketing and PR, Pete Hines, revealed that there will be no digital press conference for the company in lieu of its planned in-person E3 presser. The biggest Mm. piece of news is actually probably that Gamescom news that the show may not take place in person, which is really a, a striking blow because Gamescom attracts hundreds of thousands of people and is a complete shit show when you go there. But they'll do something, I guess, digitally, and we'll figure that out in mid-May. How do you feel about all this news, Chris? The E3 2021 announcement, Gamescom maybe not happening in person, and then Bethesda saying that they will just not do a press conference at all yeah. this year. Uh, not surprising, I guess. I think, uh, and I think anybody really expected anything that's happening in, like, Anything that has to do with large groups of people coming together is probably not going to happen. I think you're, it's pretty safe to say that you're you're boned on that until like September at the, the earliest, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that they already have E3 2021 dates, although I'm pretty sure that's little more than just sort of a number on a piece of paper that they put out to placate some 
concerns. I really don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it's. I feel like with the Bethesda news, especially because I agree with you. I don't think Gamescom is going to happen. I don't, and I. I wonder if people are even going to. There, there's a lot of chatter now about like, are people even going to be comfortable getting together in groups after this is over? Like, there's just going to be this fear in everyone <clears throat> or a lot Dude, of people. I keep I keep uh, seeing groups of people on television and like movies from like years ago, and I keep I keep thinking like, what are you What are you doing? What are you doing standing yeah. so close to? You can't be throwing trash at the Green Goblin all huddled up together like that. Yes. You look ridiculous. Six feet of separation. Yeah, it's a different time. And it is interesting to think about that. But I think the Bethesda thing is probably most consequential because I think it gives Bethesda an out. I've long said that Bethesda doesn't need annual press conferences and them announcing Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 so early was such a catastrophic error on their part that this actually buys them a year. Where they don't even have to like, because I'm sure that they were going to have some stupid shit to show about these games that are nowhere near being done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so now they don't have to do it at all. So that I, I probably am wiping my brow if I were them, because not only that, they got their game out too, like Doom Eternal's out. So they got that out like right under the wire. And so it seems to have all worked out for them. Yeah, I'm sad that we won't be getting like that, you know, the little teaser image of like, here's what hair looks like in Starfield, you know? I'm really sad that we won't. I'm really sad. I am interested to see what that game actually looks like. I really hope it doesn't look like their other games. And I know it's going to look like a better version. I, what I'm saying is, is I don't want it to look all stilted. Yeah, I don't you want know? I don't want to be reminded of other Bethesda games when I play it, which is probably not the best, the best sign if that's what you're really looking for. I want I want you to make something that looks like you didn't make it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, it's probably not the best compliment that you could pay, but it's honestly how I feel. About Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six, it's funny how how much their star has fallen in some ways. I mean, it's it, that's all relative. I mean, Bethesda is a massive publisher; they make great games, or they release great games, and Bethesda Game Studio still has a lot of respect and love. But their star really has fallen. The Witcher Three was really the cementing of of that fallen star, and Cyberpunk might be another one of those, and even other games like it, like open world role playing type games like Dying Light. And whatever the case might be, it's just a lot of or obsidians, uh, the outer worlds, like a lot of games just expose them. Yeah. The outer worlds is interesting, too, because it's uh, the outer worlds. When you look at it is still a stilted kind of like a stilted, like not necessarily like the most high budget thing you've ever seen. But even that is still like miles. There's just such there's so much more charm and playability and like heart in that game than like there was in Fallout 4 or really anything that they've put out in, in a while. Like, I, I love Skyrim just, just as much as everybody else. Like, Skyrim is an is a old game that hasn't aged very well, but I would argue that it's still probably one of my favorites. There's a reason why that game is... You could download that... You could probably go to your cemetery and play that game on a tombstone, probably. It's probably yeah. already installed on it. So, like, there's a reason why a game like that is so proliferated, and it's because it is it is good, regardless of its poor age. But, yeah, I just feel like when you're when you're being outdone by studios who are also putting kind of like stiltedly animated open ro- open world role playing games that aren't even really as, as long because the outer world is pretty short compared to a lot of uh, Bethesda titles and you know you gotta you gotta start thinking like maybe we gotta reevaluate how we do things yeah it's I think that that they're in that reevaluation period which is why it was so weird that they would talk about I mean maybe talk about Starfield but the Elder Scrolls six I mean. What are we? What are we talking about? Like twenty twenty four or something with that game? I don't even understand like why you would 
bring that up at all. So I think they made a lot of errors. And I think that this allows them to remedy some of those PR and marketing errors at the very least. And I'm super intrigued. I mean, I'm going to play Starfield, but I remember when Fallout 4 was announced and how excited I was for it. And then when I played it, I was like, oh, God, I don't know about this because it was it just felt so antiquated and old. And I think a lot of people felt that way. And then obviously with Fallout 76, I think people were just totally in, in, in words of your in your words, befuddled by what was happening. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were the last publisher to just say we're not going to do anything in June at all. And just kind of move on with your lives, be, be, you know, announce yeah. things when, when you're ready to go. We don't have to map ourselves to these very specific points in the in the calendar anymore. That's what's so exciting. I, mean, I know a lot of people I know you and others are not excited. I mean, I'm not excited about E3 going away, but it's like this is what is exciting about it is that we don't have to be nailed to the fucking June page on a calendar anymore. If you have nothing to say, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could argue that just people with nothing to say just shouldn't show up. You'd probably have a stronger showcase anyway, if that were the case. But I don't know. There is something to be said. Like, I will miss that time that I knew that I could always look forward to just like seeing new shit. Whereas now it's like now everything that I was like waiting to hear about. Now it's just like, I, I don't even know if I'll ever hear about this shit. Like, I'm just straight up like, ah, I might as it might as well not exist at this point. All right, Chris, let's move on. Number eight. Trails of Cold Steel 4, the newest iteration in the popular Trails JRPG franchise from Japanese developer Nihon Falcom, is finally coming to the Western PlayStation 4s, according to a report on Game Informer. NIS America is acting as the game's publisher, and it will get a physical release and a special edition physical edition too. The game initially launched on PS4 in Japan in September of 2018, and its Western release was all but assured as previous titles in the franchise have become cult favorites in the US, Europe, and elsewhere. Trails of Cold Steel is part of the larger so-called Legend of Heroes series, which began on Japanese hardware in the late 80s, being first ported to the West on TurboGrafx-16 in 1992 in the form of Dragon Slayer, The Legend of Heroes. The series hit its stride with The Legend of Heroes games on PSP, which saw Western, re- Western release in the mid-aughts, and The Trails in the Sky trilogy, two games from which saw Western releases also on PSP. Trails of Cold Steel came to Western PS3s, PS4s, and Vitas between 2015 and 2019, with Trails of Cold Steel coming to the same platform's Uh, Trails of Cold Steel 2, I'm sorry, coming to the same platforms between 2016 and 2019, and the third game only coming to PS4 in our ecosystem. Trails of Cold Steel 4 doesn't have a specific Western release date yet, but will be out by the end of 2020. Big news for all the nerds and dorks out there. (laughs) That's a game that that I'll probably never play, but I really like the name. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great name. Yeah, it's just awesome. I did download the uh, original one on my Vita recently. I'd like to get into it. It it is so it does come so highly recommended that it's hard for me as a JRPG fan to ignore it for much longer. Mm-hmm. It's just too bad. Only the first two are on Vita. The second two are or third and the fourth one will be on PS4, and all of them are on PS4 actually, uh, or will be. How much are they on uh, PS Vita? Uh, I don't know. Let me look. I'll look for you right now. Trails of Trails Cold, Cold Steel, Steel. Vita. PlayStation Store. Uh, it is not going to open. Oh, there we go. 40 bucks. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it doesn't seem like very. They maybe may want to drop the price a yeah, little that's, bit. That's not much of a Trails of Cold Steel. You know what I mean? Ho! 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 All right. No, definitely not. Yeah, I'm always surprised when I go look at Vita games and 
how, and just I can see how much they are. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like all of these games should be virtually. You're not. How many of those games are you selling at forty dollars? You might as well sell it for like ten. You know. But yeah. I guess maybe they want to have parity with the PS4 version, which also shouldn't be forty dollars. I'll be in, actually. You know what? Let me look right. I'm going to look right now. How much is it on Trails of Cold Steel PS4 PlayStation? Got to be the same, right? Or more? Yeah, thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, that just seems too expensive. Yeah, for both of them. Yeah, too much. Yeah. Oh, well. that's Exceed's problem, I guess. Number nine. A sequel to the popular roguelike Metroidvania Rogue Legacy is officially in development, according to tweets from developer Cellar Door Games. Rogue Legacy initially came to PC in 2013, but found an even larger audience when it came to PS3, PS4, and Vita in mid-2014. Rogue Legacy's side-scrolling action was well done, but it was how the game dealt with death that was truly unique, making it permanent and forcing players to then play as descendants of the previous character with unique traits and statistics. The game had deep RPG systems and lots of upgrade trees and was a true joy to play. Cellador Games hasn't revealed much else about the game other than some art and music, but no target platforms or release windows or years have yet been discussed. That said, considering Rogue Legacy found major popularity in the PlayStation ecosystem, we should assume the sequel will be PS4 and PS5 bound, hopefully sooner rather than later. I was really excited to see this news. Were you a fan of Rogue Legacy at all? No, but I, I, I always like anything that has permadeath in it, and that's a really unique way of doing permadeath. I really like, I really like that shit. It's a, I highly recommend it. You know where it's really good? We were just talking about this is on Vita. I mean, it was just awesome on Vita. It was just yeah. so at home on that platform. And I, I loved I absolutely loved that game. I, I kind of let go of them ever doing anything with it because it's been so long since they released it. I, I think team I've said this before. I, I feel this way about Shovel Knight and other games where it's like you're waiting too long to do sequels to these games. I just don't understand what you gain from waiting seven years to do a sequel to Rogue Legacy. You know what you what you get from waiting we're not going to get Shovel Knight 2 probably ever at this point. It's just it's just really I find it very peculiar because if you have like this this fiery success on the commercial market, you would think you would want to follow it up sooner rather than later because then you you kind of lose it. There's just a bunch of other things to take your attention away. Yeah. So I always found that weird, but it is cool that the, it's coming out. I'm, I'm really excited. I love that game. Highly recommended if people haven't played it. Like I said, it's awesome on Vita. You can also play it on PS4. It's available on other platforms, too. And um, it was it was a favorite of mine that year. Number 10, Saints Row the Third, the popular open world GTA like game that came to PS3 and elsewhere in late 2011 is officially PlayStation 4 bound in the form of Saints Row the Third Remastered. Better yet, the remaster is right around the corner. It's due to launch on May 22nd. The remaster includes all of the game's DLC, as well as upgraded visuals and much more. The remaster comes by way of Volition, the team behind the entire Saints Row series, as well as the original Red Faction and Summoner games that originally found a home on PlayStation 2. Volition was a fully owned THQ studio until, until THQ went under, at which point publisher Deep Silver stepped into the void. Ironically, Deep Silver was since acquired by Coke Media, which was then acquired by THQ Nordic. So all is as it once was. What the hell? We were just talking about this, weren't we? Yeah. Not too long ago. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to maybe playing this if, the, if time allows it. Because I really did. I did play a little bit of it on PS3 in 2011 and I did like it. But I, I for some reason, I just never got back to it. It is like Grand Theft Auto. If it was just, Grand Theft Auto was just like really zany as shit. Yeah, it was like um, it's like Grand Theft Auto. If it was like Naked Gun. Is how I kind of always thought about it. It's just like this very this parody kind of genre, but uh, I don't know if 
like I, I looked at the announcement of this on social media, and everybody was, just seemed to be upset that it wasn't Saints Row Two. And I guess Saints Row Two is like the favorite of that franchise, even though I remember like playing it and not liking it at all. I don't know. It's, it's, it just seems weird to do three of all of them. Like, why not? Why not something more beloved like two or even the first one? I don't even think I don't think people have been able to play the first one in a long ass time. Yeah, I don't know what the um, what the motivation is about about doing the third one. I guess it is because you're right. Saints Row Two, which came out in 2008, was a fan favorite, and people really did dig it like quite a bit. It, it came out. You guys will remember that Grand Theft Auto uh, Four came out earlier that year, and so this Saints Row Two kind of created a stark contrast. And then when the third one came out in 2011, we were still two years out from getting Grand Theft Auto Five, so they were able to kind of flip it and get it out there. And I remember Saints Row 2 being especially big on Xbox 360. The original Saints Row, of course, came out in 2006, which was also a good time. And then um, Saints Row 4 came out in 2013. So, yeah, I don't know. exactly. Maybe like a compilation would have been kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know about the backwards compatibility issues with Xbox 360. Like, in other words, if those are available there, this is what's creating the problem with parity between PlayStation and Xbox right now is there are just there's no reason to re-release some of these games on both platforms. This was actually the thing we had with Bioshock collection. I know that they were up and all that, but like they were already available on Xbox. We, we couldn't play them on PlayStation four. So that was more exciting for us. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's the same thing with, um, Oh my God, there was something that came out recently. Oh, modern warfare, modern warfare two remastered. The campaign came out on uh PlayStation four and it's exclusive to PlayStation four for, I think the next month. I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember thinking that's weird, but also like, I can turn on my Xbox One right now and play Modern Warfare 2 as it was and also play the multiplayer. So it just seems I guess it's I guess it's not really that important on Xbox to have that. Yeah, this is the uh the difference maker. I, I think it's relevant to talk about this and it, it's it would be interesting to know more about how it's affecting publishers' ability or desires to get games out in remastered form or whatever when there's really not a reason to do it on both and is it worth investing in just one platform or the other and and how do you deal with all that so yeah although it is worth also noting on xbox one that you need to own the old games to download them you know you can't just download them and avoid so that is true that is true too they're gonna sell them either way so i guess that kind of contradicts a little bit of what i'm saying number 11 it looks like the long rumored mafia 2 port is indeed coming to ps4 if a game rating from the south korean games rating board is any indication Mafia 2 Definitive Edition is listed and rated, though we'll have to wait on further confirmation from Publisher 2K. Mafia 2 launched in the summer of 2010 and was created by the now-defunct 2K-owned studio 2K Check, which later assisted on the Hangar 13 developed Mafia 3 before being shut down. Mafia 3 came out in the fall of 2016 on PS4 and elsewhere and is naturally still available to play, along with its DLC on current-gen hardware. That said, the same Korean ratings board also rated Mafia 3 Definitive Edition uh, for PS4, so we can expect that likely DLC-filled package soon, too. Does this do anything for you? Or are you a Mafia fan? Yeah, this is kind of cool, actually. Like, I never actually... When Mafia 2 came out, I didn't really have as much disposable income to spend on a game like Mafia 2 that I wasn't really certain of. Uh, but I remember playing the demo, like, over and over again, because there was something so interesting about just the time period, and running from the cops in Mafia 2 felt... There was a distinct feeling in that game versus the feeling that you got running from the cops in any Grand Theft Auto game that like really made it stand out to me. So this is really cool. Like I'm really excited for this actually. Yeah. I like mafia. Uh, mafia two felt a little empty and rushed 
which I know is one of the complaints about it. It was one mm. of the last strategy guides I actually wrote uh, for Mafia 2. And it is a good game and there is a lot of heart to it. Mafia 3 was weird because I liked I didn't beat it. I played Mafia 3 pretty extensively. I got distracted by something else when it came out, but I did love the story. I loved the bra- the black protagonist and the black story, the Vietnam kind of thing, the the southern setting. There was a lot to really like about it. So maybe this will be a good reason to go back and play it again. But yeah, I, I'm interested in also what the future of Mafia is. I, I feel like this is setting up, obviously, a, a Mafia 4 w- by Hangar 13, which I think is probably a no-brainer. Because Mafia 3, even though it wasn't a critical smash success, it was... Uh, a commercial success. So there's no reason to not go back to it. And no one's really fucking around with this, this theme anymore in games. Cause you'll remember that there were Godfather games. Remember those from EA? Yeah. And those were actually pretty good. I actually liked Godfather two quite a bit on PlayStation three. It was like a kind of an open world grand theft auto type game, but with like a lot of management going yeah. on in it where it was like, you were like getting rackets and building all that kind of stuff. I, I dug that a lot. So. Godfather was the first game I got on Xbox 360 from from Gamefly. Oh, I remember because like uh, you could set up your account on Gamefly. For those of you who don't know, it's actually astoundingly weird of me to assume that everybody understands what I'm talking about. Gamefly was like a like a like a blockbuster kind of like early Netflix thing where they would send you game discs in the mail, and you could you could play them however long you wanted. And like when you were done with it, you would just mail it back, and they would send you the next game on your queue. And I remember like. I remember like hacking into the kind of account that my parents had set up to, that allowed me to get rated M games. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get Godfather. Uh, so nice. It's, it's so, so rated R. And it was just kind of OK. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, it wasn't like the best thing ever. Yeah, no doubt no. about it. But yeah, I did like the, I liked the sequel quite a bit. And I what I remember about it, uh, something really memorable and longtime fans will remember me talking about this is that. I think it was in 2009 when I played. I, I can't. I think it was 2009, but we got the game so early, like from EA. Like it was supposed to come out at some point, and then it got delayed like six months, and we just had it. It was just done. I don't know like why they delayed it. So like, I had played it and gotten the trophies like way early on them, and then the game came out like six months later. It was one of those very peculiar ha- happenstances, I guess, that EA did for budgetary reasons or whatever. But I, that that sticks out in my mind for some reason. All right. Number 12 is a wrap-up. The official PlayStation blog reports that 2D action game Fury Unleashed is coming to PS4 on May 8th, that Outer Space FPS Boundary, which looks really cool, is coming to PS4 later in 2020, that comedy-themed Roguelite Going Under is coming to PS4 in September of 2020, that strategy game John Wick Hex is coming to PS4 on May 5th, and that survival game Widbound is coming to PS4 on August 28th. Website Gamatsu reports that 2D platformer Emma Lost in Memories is coming to PS4 and Vita in May, that party game Panpu comes to PS4 in June. That puzzle platformer Tin and Kuna is coming to PS4 this fall. That controversial Cuphead clone Enchanted Portals devs are planning to bring the game to PS4. And that hardcore action RPG Mortal Shell is coming to PS4 sometime in the third quarter of this year. Website Push Square reports that stick-driven skating game Skater XL is coming to PS4 in July of 2020. And finally, film publication Variety reports that the tortured Uncharted film finally dated to come out on March 5th of 2021 will now come out on October 8th of that year. Sick of talking about that fucking game. All right. Or that movie. (laughs) Yeah. Chris, new game releases. We'll get into it. But before we do, CBK wrote into us and said, hello, Colin and Chris, new patron, longtime listener with sales going up on PSN every week or two. Could you give recommendations from the sales? Maybe something AAA as well as something underrated or game under the radar. Love the show. Loving Twin Breaker. Stay home. Stay safe. 
and stay gaming. So, Chris, yesterday, I don't know if you saw it. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you would have. I tweeted this thing that I, I just tweeted it and forgot about it. Then I went back and there was like some angry people in there. Oh, yeah. But I tweeted out because I always tweeted out these sales things like for this amount of money, you can get all of these games. So I tweeted this out and some people appreciated it. Some people didn't. I understand it's a lot of money, but that wasn't really the point. It was the point of how much you can how much you can get for this amount of money. So he asked for a recommendation. Here's what for three hundred and twenty eight dollars and ninety cents on PSN during the current sale. Right. So it's a lot of money. I know it's a lot of money, but this, this is what you can get for that much money. Three hundred and twenty eight dollars and ninety cents. Batman Arkham Collection. So that's Batman, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. Bioshock 1, Bioshock 2, Bioshock Infinite. Borderlands, Borderlands 2, Borderlands 3, Borderlands Pre-Sequel. Days Gone, Death Stranding, Doom 2016, Far Cry New Dawn, Far Cry Primal, God of War, Grand Theft Auto 3, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Killzone Shadowfall, Mafia 3, Nino Kuni 2, Skyrim, Tales of Vesperia, Tetris Effect, The Witcher 3, and The Last of Us. So if you want some recommendations for $328.90, you can get all of those games. Okay, that's my recommendation on on the current sale. (laughs) And I feel like that's a really good recommendation. It doesn't mean you have to spend that money and buy them all. Yeah. I'm just saying that's the point was is that that's a fucking awesome deal. That's what the point is. That is pretty good. That's an that's an awesome deal. All right, Chris, tradition dictates you go first. Okay. Oh, oh my God. Uh, Wow. A room where art conceals comes to PSVR. In the distant future, many masterpieces of art have disappeared in the turmoil, and people have lost their emotions in the indifference of survival. Well, you accidentally opened the door to a mysterious old space and woke up the robot guarding the paintings in some way, who will guide you to find those lost paintings by entering the world within those famous paintings and experience the emotions of such fascinating paintings. (laughs) (laughs) That fucking rules. They said the word on one... Two, they said the word paintings four times in that sentence. Yep. Holy <laughs> shit. Yep. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I love that. I don't read these before they, I just copy and paste them. So yeah. it's even new to me. AFL Evolution 2 comes to PS4. The evolution continues. A true reflection of the modern AFL game. Pursue your goals with greater depth, improved draft, free agency, and state leagues. Includes Guernsey Creator, player and team management, create and share online on FanHub. Play head-to-head and top on the leaderboard or t- team up with up to eight mates online. Okay. I think that's um, rugby, but I could be wrong. Yeah, something like that. Below comes to PS4. Explore, survive, and discover what lies below in this brooding atmospheric dungeon crawler. Below presents a vast underworld of ever-shifting labyrinths where deadly monstrosities, cunning traps, and, sh- and a shadowy presence lurk in every passage. What lies below? Only the brave will find out. Once an Xbox exclusive, now coming to PlayStation. Yeah. Biped comes to PS4. Biped is a physics-based 3D co-op action adventure game with a strong focus on moment-to-moment collaboration between two players. Two little bipedal robots, Aku and Sila, will walk side by side and embark on a fun and bonding journey to accomplish their mission on planet Earth. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) That's a lot of people are probably trying to accomplish their mission on planet Earth. Indeed. Braveland Trilogy comes to PS4. The story takes place in a hand-drawn world and covers many interesting places and characters. Various warriors will join your army. Archers, scouts, healers, footmen. Oh, okay. <laughs> Arbalesters. Uh, Arbalesters? And more? Arbalesters, yeah. Uh, isn't an arbalest like a gun? 
I, I think so. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting mixed up because there's a gun in Destiny called the Arbalest. So really, yeah, I think really that that's what that is. Footmen, I always... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I thought of Tarantino immediately. Yes. I know that term. I mean, I think that means probably a normal soldier, but I only... The, a footman in, in like British, on British, like in like Downton Abbey or whatever, is like a servant. But I yeah, don't think yeah. that's what they mean here. Construction Simulator 3 comes to PS4. Construction Simulator 3 returns to Europe. Discover an idyllic European town with officially licensed vehicles by famous brands. Take on diverse and challenging contracts. Shape the skyline of your city and expand your vehicle fleet. Convoy, a tactical roguelike, comes to PS4. Uh, Convoy is a tactical roguelike in which you you cross a wasteland in search of parts for your broken ship. You travel with your combat vehicles and convoy, convoy across a wasteland to find parts needed to repair your broken spaceship. Keep your convoy and its cargo safe from raiders, privateers, and other enemies during your journey. I always wanted to be a privateer when I was a kid, when I was learning about them. What is that? A privateer is a state-sponsored pirate. Oh. So, like, I think the British were the ones that first started doing it, but it's basically like, instead of, like, basically you take, like, your pirates in your society and, and, and be like, listen, we won't go after you and fuck with you. Just pirate their ships instead of ours. And we'll leave you alone. That's what a privateer is. That sounds ridiculous. Sounds awesome. <clears throat> it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super cool. That should definitely be a game. Pri- yeah, it would be a fun game. Well, you have Convoy, a tactical roguelike, if you want to see a little bit of privateering. Disaster Report 4, Summer Memories, which is supposed to be horrible, by the way, <laughs> comes to PS4. Uh, a calm summer day turns into catastrophe when a massive earthquake strikes the city, throwing buildings and lives into chaos. In order to survive, you must navigate familiar locations under unfamiliar circumstances. The fellow survivors you meet and crucial decisions you make will ultimately determine how the journey through this crisis will end. Again, it's supposed to be really bad. I would stay away from that one. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Hey. Comes to PS4, a spectacular reimagining of one of the most visionary games ever. Final Fantasy VII Remake rebuilds and expands the the legendary RPG for today. The first entry in a multi-part saga delivering a level of depth inconceivable for the original. Mind-blowing story, unforgettable characters, epic battles, and technical excellence collide. Supposed to be pretty good, getting good reviews. Supposed to be a little short. I'm hearing 35 to 40 hours, but I don't know. People were saying this, like, people have in their minds that Final Fantasy VII was this long game, but it wasn't. Yeah. It was 50 or 60 hours at the most, so. I saw, like, uh, I saw some estimates of Final Fantasy VII, like, you could beat the entirety in, like, 30, 35 hours. Yeah, you could get through it. You could get it through it that easily. And by the way, if you play the re-release on ps4 or other consoles where they have the thing where you can speed it up three or five times i think you can mm-hmm. just like it just it, it, it literally just speeds up the frame rate you can literally just blazer the game in like no time at all and i did that's how i got yeah. my platinum i did it that way uh Irk prime wrote into us about this he says square enix has let physical copies of final fantasy 7 remake go out early to meet supply chain distro issues but are reluctant also to release the game digitally early as well since you have a better understanding of publishing with Twinbreaker, how hard would it be for Square Enix to break our digital date release of a game? They are so concerned for spoiler spoiler leaks, but don't seem like they want or can get the game to the masses. I don't think that it's e- as easy as you think. I, again, I don't know that there's a a valid excuse for this if you're Square Enix because yeah. you have such good connections at Sony. Do you, can't you just put the game out early? But I think there is a little bit of concern about the load that this is going to put on PlayStation Network. The game is huge. It's about 100 gigabytes. And they actually did 
put the pre-release and preload up earlier than they usually would for games, I think, to kind of settle that load. So I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly how this is all going to go, but um, we're not going to get the game early digitally. And I, I don't know why they're not allowing that, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Sorry to say. Are you going to play it? Final oh, Fantasy yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, certainly. Form comes to PSVR, says enter a surreal adventure where puzzles are built from dreams and memories. Solve the mystery behind an ancient artifact. Advance through a world that transforms around you. Transcend this existence. Charm Games brings you form a surreal adventure that unfolds within the confines of the human mind. Ooh. Galaxy of Pen and Paper plus one edition comes to PS4. Galaxy of Pen and Paper is a turn-based meta RPG about a group of players rolling dice in the year 1999. Create your own game master and RPG party as they roleplay, explore distant planets in their imagination, fight weird aliens, and save the galaxy in an era of dial-up internet and floppy disks. <laughs> Sounds cool. Yeah. Null Drifter comes to PS4. Blast into a one-bit lo-fi simulation that will gradually train your skills up to become the ultimate space fighter pilot. Secretly part of the Project Starship world, this twin-stick shooter is designed to prepare pilots for their mission against the awakened forces of the Void. Rush Rover comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Rush Rover is a 2D top-down shooter game with gameplay mechanics, with game space play mechanics. Uh, similar to traditional shmups, it includes uh, random map generation, unique weapons, lots of different enemies, exciting boss battles, and a, and a dynamic chiptune soundtrack. soundtrack. It's another shump. Shump. Got a good Love shump them shumps. Here. Yeah, man. Sharknado VR, Eye of the Storm, comes to PSVR. <laughs> awesome. Fight your way through swarms of hungry flying sharks in Sharknado VR. Slice them with the chainsaw. Shred them with machine guns or explode them with the RPG. Can you survive the Sharknado? <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. Troubleshooter uh, comes to PS4. Why did the dinosaurs go extinct? Bad weather? Meteors? Or because of a manic... What? A maniac with rainbow hair? <laughs> Who knows? Mm. Troubleshooter is a top-down arcade shooter. Fight through endless waves of unsuspecting dinosaurs and prove you are the best. Grab a friend and rampage together. Use meteor showers and upgrades to your advantage. This is just a game about eviscerating dinosaurs. Yeah, that sounds good. Fuck them. Yeah, those poor guys, man. Stupid assholes. Imagine being... Imagine humanity is like goes extinct and then whatever race that supplants us or whatever like species that supplants us makes video games where you could just <laughs> just murder us in perpetuity <laughs> it's have you seen i'm sure you've seen it um the picture of a, a picture of like a tyrannosaurus rex with a meteor crashing behind him and then it, and then there's a word bubble and it just says the economy <laughs> with an exclamation point <laughs> that's so which i always yeah, which i thought was really funny yeah that's a good one all right chris tradition dictates we end with six questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas from the audience starting with brian lau and remember, by the way, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins last stand to submit these inquiries, which we go through and read here. Brian says, hey, Claptrap Colin and Handsome Jack Con or uh, Claptrap Chris and Handsome Jack Colin. Wow, he put you first. Jason Schreier reports on Kotaku that the Gearbox developers were stiffed on bonuses in quotes, despite Borderlands 3's financial success. Typically, bonuses are not guaranteed to employees based on the company's health, but Gearbox's pay structure is around profit sharing. This means that employees can earn bonuses based on their project's profits of their top base pay. To make matters worse, CEO Randy Pitchford told his devs that they are welcome to quit if they are not happy with the royalty system. I am generally pro-business, but this is a pretty dick move to dangle a carrot to motivate devs to work long hours only to pull the rug on them when it is time to pay out bonuses. What are your thoughts on this? Chris, did you read the story? 
yeah. on Kotaku. What did you uh, make of this Jason Schreier exclusive about Gulak? I Well, I mean, it definitely seems like uh, Randy Pitchford is kind of a dick. Uh, but I'm also not a businessman. I don't know how it is to operate a business like this. So I'm sure you probably have more of an insight into how this how this shit works. But it definitely doesn't look good for Randy from an optics perspective to me. Yeah, it seems like I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And that includes with this story. I think it's more complicated than this. Obviously, Borderlands 3 was produced and published by another entity. It seems like they way overspent on production, which dipped into the bonuses that would have happened. So Borderlands 3 did sell really well and did make a lot of money, but it also cost a lot more to make. And they do have to pay their publisher back mm-hmm. for investment and all that kind of stuff. But I will say two things. One, Randy Pitchford apparently still took like a $10 million bonus. And two, there just seems to be a lot of drama around Randy Pitchford. Yeah. And at some point, you do have to ask if there's if they're smoke, is there fire? And... A lot of this for me with Randy Pitchford goes back to Alien Colonial Marines and the Sega fiasco and Time. What was that? Time Gate or whatever the fuck that developer was called, you know, years ago. And it just seems like the company's not very well run. And I've known people that have worked there and they don't have great things to say about it all the time. Some people did and some people didn't. I will say that. I remember that there were a couple people I knew there that were literally waiting to quit until they got their bonuses on certain games because the bonuses, I think, are delivered quarterly and they're quite generous, apparently. Typically, the studio is in Plano, Texas, I think. So it's not that expensive to live there. And so I would understand that people would be paid less to work there. And you're also working on big games like Borderlands. But it just does seem like when there's smoke, there's fire. And I'm not sure Randy Pitchford's a guy that's really worth defending. And I really like the game. I think Borderlands 3 is awesome, but it is disappointing that his people are not getting paid. And I think it's fair to say like, well, yeah, maybe the game costs more money to make than they anticipated. But that does come. That's not the people in the trenches fault necessarily. That seems to be more the fault of production and publisher. So it just seems like it it, it is unfortunate. And uh, it's a story definitely worth reading over on Kotaku. Yeah, there's not too much to it. I feel like the the bigger issue is is the 10 million dollar bonus. Because it doesn't strike me like Randy Pitchford, like, honestly, it, it doesn't he doesn't strike me as like, like a Kojima, you know, the kind of person who like without his creative vision or without his driving force, the game just wouldn't be able to find its footing. Like it, it, it doesn't really seem he doesn't seem like that kind of driving force behind a, a franchise like Borderlands. Maybe I'm wrong, but it, I, I don't get that vibe at all. So for him to just sort of take t- 10 million just seems a bit. I, I don't know. Like honestly, like I I would have cut ties like a long time ago based on just even just some of the other shit that that happened with him, uh, with a certain USB drive that was pretty pretty bad publicity. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff about that. You know, it's hard to say if like I think that it's possible that sometimes people are targeted and they just mm-hmm. seem to be worse than they are and they have a lot of bad luck or whatever. But Randy Pitchford has made an enormous amount of money and it's good to make an enormous amount of money it's good to be a millionaire it's good to that's cool i love that stuff i love capitalism but i wouldn't be able to like one of the big things for me and i talked to you about this and i talked to dustin and you know other people that work for me is that like my biggest priority during this economic downturn is to make sure you guys are taken care of that nothing changes that you can rely on me right and because dustin's a full-time employee of mine 
you know, you make a good amount of money off of me and others do. And I want to make sure you guys know that you can rely on that. And that will be the top priority. And that builds and fosters, I think, um, not only creative synergy, but trust and yeah. um, loyalty to the brand and the want to keep working and do things even when we're struggling. And you'll know that the only way you're not taken care of is if like the company just bottoms out, basically. And we're fine right now. But if I were Randy Pitchford, I would be like, well, we got to make sure our people are taken care of. Like even even if you want to be pretty dire about it and say, like, I'm just doing it for the optics. I don't really give a fuck about any of these people, which I think would be insane to say when these people are the ones making you your money. You would still think that you'd be like, hey, man, like I'm going to get, you know, it, you know, uh, 10 million dollars. I don't know how far that's going to go with a studio the size of Gearbox, but everyone would get something and you would just think you would want to do that and sacrifice. You don't he doesn't need that money. I mean, I can tell you that right now, like Randy Pitchford doesn't need that money. Yeah. Randy Pitchford is is a multimillionaire many, many times over is the executive producer of a triple A AAA film that's coming out based on Borderlands. He owns all these IP. He's got connections and investments with 2K. It just I don't know. It just it just seems maybe it's harder said than done if someone's like, hey, why don't you take $10 million out of your bank? I don't have $10 million, but you know, why would you? I, I understand it's probably harder to but you, you would think you would want to just do the right thing by people. And so it just yeah. seems like he's getting blown up over and over again, but nothing is going to change. And Borderlands is I think Borderlands 3 is the maybe the biggest Borderlands game now. Probably. Borderlands 2 is pretty big, but Borderlands 3 sold extraordinarily well. And so it's it, it, again, it's just like we say with EA and Activision and all these others. If you don't, you know, stop buying their games or just the shit's going to continue to happen. Nothing's going to happen to Gearbox. Yeah, for sure. And they're going to continue to attract talent. Even if everyone leaves, they're going to still have talent that want to go and work there. But maybe things will change now. I don't know. Daniel Pressure wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Chris, first time, long time. But why do these companies insist on spoiling their own games in the final trailers, i.e. the new Final Fantasy VII trailer? It seems to always be Japanese companies. Is this a cultural thing or what? Thanks for all you do. And how are the Mega Man figures? Daniel actually sold me some sealed in box Mega Man action figures and NES games for my brother. Um, They're still sitting on the porch because we're not allowed to bring any packages into the house. (laughs) All right. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know if you saw this. I didn't watch the trailer, but the Final Fantasy VII trailer, apparently the new like launch trailer is apparently full of spoilers. And I understand the game is 23 years old, but apparently it spoils the game in pretty fundamental ways in ways that people that are familiar with the story would still be disappointed if they saw it. Why do you think that? I don't think it's a cultural thing, but why do you think that Square Enix in this case decided to do that? It seems weird to me. Yeah, it's maybe they just assume that because the the game is a remake of something that everybody's played or everybody or presumably everybody loves or knows that it doesn't really matter if it's spoiled or not. Uh, I don't really agree. Um, but that's, that could be a justification. I do think, I don't think it's a cultural thing either because like, if, if you'll remember like back when Spider-Man was coming out, like I, I would argue that half the stuff in the Spider-Man trailers leading up to launch were surprises that really should have remained in the game and, and not marketed in, in, in the way that they were. It infuriated me, actually, uh, the way they were marketing that game. But it paid off, so, like, whatever, who am I? But it seems to me that it just... It's got to be just, like, a level of tone deafness, right? Like, where you just don't know... Or maybe you've spent so much time working on on, on something that you're just like, hey, you know, this will be... This will be this will be fine, you know? We, we already know all this stuff. <laughs> it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But I also just don't know how these studios you know, farm out their their work as far as trailer making goes. Because I know I, I made the trailer for Twin Breaker. I made both of them. 
And I doubt like I doubt that the way you handled that trailer is the way that a lot of these studios will handle it. They probably have trailer houses that they go to to make sure that things are okay. And I'm sure they have to approve things before they get sent out. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't get it because this is a game that doesn't need to be sold really anymore. People know what it is and it's and it's ready and and it's going to sell millions of copies. And so it's like, what are you even trying to convince? But I agree with you. It's not cultural because they're Spider-Man's a great example. They they way over promoted that game. I think that was a really common sentiment back in the day. And if I remember correctly, like with Death Stranding, I think they spoiled some really fundamental shit in those trailers, too. We didn't quite realize it at the time. But like there was stuff like really late in the game in those trailers. I just don't understand why you would ever do that. I remember when I was doing video reviews at IGN that I would refuse to put any footage in any video review that was more than five hours into any game. And that was just because I was afraid anyone would get mad at me at all. I mean, can you imagine spoiling some of the fundamental things that are in Final Fantasy seven, especially if you're not familiar with the game? And again, I do recommend you play the original before you play this. But I know a lot of people are not going to listen. All right. Kyle Clayus wrote in. Said, hey, Colin and Chris, first time, long time here. Just recently became a patron because I wanted to hear Chris's take on the might and majesty that is Doom Eternal. Ooh. Just platinum the game this past week, and I can say it's the first game I've ever platinumed where I'm not completely burnt out on it. The combat loop is just so damn addicting. However, I noticed even in your video, and he's talking about Chris's Let's Play, you weren't a fan of the Marauder. I guess my question is, have either of you, Colin's curmudgeonly ass included, ever loved the game only for the overall experience to feel lessened by a single enemy or encounter within the game that slowed the pace to a crawl? Thanks for making Tuesdays great and keep sacrificing those babies. Chris, what do you think about his uh, his comment here? Oh, yeah, I think I think a lot of games have this kind of issue. Like I I will straight up be really, really enjoying a game and a game will be probably one of my top top four or top five of the year. And then something will slow it down and it'll knock it down significantly or it's a perfect game and it has one little thing that might be not as impeccably designed uh, that will, you know, maybe not sacrifice the overall love that I have for the game as it as it was with Doom Eternal, um, but just maybe, just maybe, just like ah man, if this was if this was just slightly different, it would be a perfect game. But as it stands now, it's just a a near masterpiece. Uh, I think I think it's pretty common. Like no game is perfect. Every game has like something about it that's that's that might not be uh, preferential or something that's not necessarily to anyone's particular liking. You know, The Last of Us, I would argue, has uh, kind of the story is a bit predictable, and that's probably something that you could knock the story for. But overall, would that really make it so you wouldn't you couldn't play that game again or you wouldn't be able to finish it because it was so distracting how predictable the the beats were? Like, I I don't think that's really necessarily true. There are so few games that have nothing wrong with them. Like there there are so few Tetrises and Miss Pac-Mans, you know? You just have to accept that every so often a game will just have something like this in it. Yeah, I, I think generally speaking, there are just boss fights in games that really ruin it. We've, we talked last year about Wolfenstein. Oh, yeah. What was that game? Youngblood. And the, the end, the, bo- the boss at the end of that game sucks. I mean, that like I couldn't even, a lot of people couldn't even beat it, especially because you're trapped. I don't know if they've uh, patched it. I, I doubt that they probably did. But that game, that game, it ruined the entire experience. Yeah. And there are definitely things like that. And, and it is unfortunate that things like that happen. I think bigger games require more playtesting. And I, it, it is sometimes confusing how things sneak through. You know? Yeah, like the like the the so one thing that I can imagine, like and these are games that are like really great, even with. Like even with the kind of weird 
mistakes, like like uh, Arkham Asylum and the, and the weird Titan Joker fight. Like it was like, what is this? This is, this is terrible. Doesn't it doesn't make Arkham Asylum a terrible game? But anywhere even near it, I think it's probably like one of the best ones, especially especially like as far as superhero games go. It's like one of the, definitely like one of the top. And Bioshock, the last the final boss of Bioshock is is kind of really underwhelming and really confusing and really tonally confusing as to what what you just spent so many hours leading up to. But it doesn't change the fact that Bioshock is one of the best games ever created. Like that, you know, nothing's perfect. Definitely. It, it is hard to end games. Bioshock, yeah, like you said, Uncharted 2 is another great example of a horrible end oh, yeah. to a game. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, I don't, it's what I said before. I just love when games just have the courage not to have last boss fights at all. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to deal with any of the shit that that drags uh, the games down. But um, I still have to play Doom Eternal. I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm kind of waiting for the price to go down a little bit. I don't know if it's going to, though. All right. Next up is Guillermo Figurido. Did I say that with a good in- good Spanish inflection? Guillermo, I think. Oh. Guillermo? I actually don't know. That's that's an interesting name. I've never heard that name in my life. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Don't don't look at me. I'm just a white man. Says, hello, guys. Proud patrons since day one here. Are triple A game developers running out of ideas or are games being rushed too much to try to be creative? This question comes after playing the latest expansion of The Division 2, the latest Tomb Raider. I couldn't even play past some hours on this one and seeing reviews for Doom Eternal and Resident Evil 3. They are all just the same as their predecessors. It's quite jarring that it's almost impossible for me nowadays to be surprised by something really different or innovative by a triple A title. Do you guys agree or is it just me being burnt out by those games? Well, we were just kind of touching on this. This is interesting. There is an archetype, I think, Chris, for games. And so it would make sense that Doom Eternal felt like Doom in some way. The Division 2 felt like The Division. Tomb Raider felt like Tomb Raider, etc. But I do feel like there is a lack of real innovation. I think that that's why, again, I bring it up a lot, but that's why I think Dying Light was so refreshing because it did meld a bunch of different stuff together into something I had never really quite played before, um, which was like a parkour open world first person sandbox, really. It's just not, nothing quite like that. But yeah. it's rare to come across something like that. And I uh, but I, I wonder, like, do we really want do is this a thing of like being afraid of what you ask for, like being careful about asking for too much? Like, do you really want complete innovation or do you want what feels and plays right? And I think that threading that needle is really tough because I think people will tell you one but really want the other and then hold it against you. But what do you think? I think the variety that we have now is kind of supplementary to the uh, is is kind of supplementary to that feeling of innovation. Like we have a game like Doom Eternal, which is a far more painstakingly crafted version of Doom and a far more meticulously well designed version of Doom twenty sixteen, and it's probably my favorite shooter this decade uh, of 2010 to twenty twenty. I think. But you also we also had games like Death Stranding, which are super, super, super weird and super interesting and very, very out of the box uh, that a lot of people either didn't like or didn't understand or didn't get. And that's totally fine. But the fact that you can have a game like Doom Eternal, which is kind of like this quintessential resurrection of old school ideals mixed with modern kind of uh, spectacle and, and modern depth in, in, in character in, in play style design and like all sorts of these different things. And you also have the option to play something like Death Stranding, which for all intents and purposes is a hiking simulator that is for some reason really, really deep. I think, I think variety is innovation in and of itself. And I think it's, you know, it's fair to feel like, you know, Resident Evil and Doom and Tomb Raider are 
not innovative so much as they are iterative. It's fair to it's fair to feel like those games are iterative, but those are also games that exist within a predetermined framework that the franchises are based on. Like Doom is going to feel like Doom. The, the Division is going to feel like The Division. And I don't know if you can really complain about a lack of diversity in in style and, and a lack of innovation if you're going to mention those games without really kind of looking at Death Stranding and saying this is something really cool and really unique. And you might not like it, but that's kind of the price of thinking outside the box in the first place. Yeah, you're right. Death Stranding is a great example of something that was truly different. Although I was, you know, I, I, we talked about it in our spoiler cast and review discussion, but it was when the game became a game that actually disappointed me the most. Yeah. And like where it was like there was combat and still some weird boss battles and stuff. I'm like, eh. this is, so it is funny, like the, the game was actually at its best when it was totally unique. But like you said, there's also a price to pay for that because Death Stranding didn't sell that well. And we can see that. I mean, we can see that just from the NPDs and stuff. I'm sure it's sold yeah. appreciably, but I don't think it's going to set the world on fire. And it's certainly not in the echelon of Spider-Man, Horizon, God of War, whatever. That's handedly outsold it. So, yeah. And, and those also, are all pretty traditional games. Yeah. And it's also to note that we have things like that we've never had. But we have a AAA VR game that exists right now on, on, on PC platforms that Valve made because they could. That's a, That's a studio that for all intents and purposes, is doesn't even need to make a game, and they did it anyway. And that in and of itself is a pretty innovative thing. Like, that game plays like nothing I've ever played before in my life. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in a good time, I think. And, uh, you know, it's easy to kind of get marred by so many sequels and remakes and remasters and, you know, uh, prequel this and prequel that. But th- there's really cool stuff out there for those who who want to search around for it. I know, I know this isn't PlayStation-centric, but, like, Ori is a Metroidvania, and those games are phenomenal. Beautiful, beautiful games that aren't necessarily innovative on Metroidvania, but they're spectacular, and I, you know, we've got a lot of choice right now, and that's good. Yeah, choice is good. Definitely. Pete wrote into us and said, Hey, CNC, is it just me, or did Microsoft blow their load a bit too early? We pretty much know almost everything about the Xbox Series X, except its price. Looks, specs, controllers, UI, heck, we even know its main launch game, Halo Infinite. Whereas with the PS5, we basically know some tech specs meant mainly for the developers. Don't you think if and when Sony decides to have a full PS5 blowout somewhere in summer, it'll completely steal all the thunder and mindshare from Xbox? I know Sony has received some criticism for being so tight lipped, but I'm starting to think it was the right call. What do you think? I don't know, Chris. I think that if Sony did make the right call here, it was not intentional because of what's happening with coronavirus. I don't think... They had a plan that was meant to steal the thunder from Xbox at some unknown point in the future. I think now they might be forced into that, which is serendipitous, if, if anything. I don't, it doesn't seem like they had much intent. Yeah. But what do you think about us knowing so much about the Xbox right now? Do you think that that could be a bad thing? I, I think I've seen some people argue that Xbox Series X is now kind of locked in and that it might be trapping Microsoft with the realities of the market kind of shifting right now and maybe the inability to produce enough units. But do you think that now Microsoft having gone so early was a mistake and that Sony might have might be onto something by going so late? I think if you're going to see any boost to Sony in, in the in optics, it's going to be from it being it feeling a little bit newer and feel, oh, hey, this is new information. But at the same time, if the specs really are the same as what they unveiled in their talk, then 
I feel like you're going to have a lot of people who are probably going to look at that unveiling at least after the first day or two after the excitement of having new information wears off. They're probably going to look at it and say, you're, you're just getting to this now? You know, it's, it's going to feel, regardless of whether or not they go tomorrow or they go a month from now or they go in, in late summer, it's kind of always going to feel late because Microsoft went so early. They will definitely benefit from having like everything out on one day and like kind of having like a nice little bit of hype. Uh, but I think after enough time passes, and I think it's probably not that much time, probably like maybe a week or so, people are going to start really thinking about like, oh, okay, why, why did they hold all this information off if they had it for so long? Because they, we knew they had it back then. Were they really still working on the, the shell of the machine for this long? Or like, what, what was their plan? They're also going to be locked into a weird situation where like okay you talk about the playstation 5 in summer you surely have to by that point say when the machine is coming out you know what i mean like you can't you can't wait until summer and not have anything to say about when this machine is going to launch if it is so in a weird way like if their media blowout doesn't have a release date i think people are going to be even more confused because it will be so late into the year at that point. I think they're kind of stuck too, though, Chris. I think you're right, because how do you even announce something like this during this situation that's happening around the world? Like, you can't just pretend that this isn't happening. Yeah. And be like, oh, we got, we're going to have a big blowout for our... Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's just, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think that they've... Either they've serendipitously stumbled into something like where they can go very late, get on base. Yeah. And whatever. Or they've just stumbled into a catastrophe where they really have no opportunity to realistically announce this thing, get pre-orders going yeah, and all of that if they want to release this fall, which is why I'm, I just remain convinced that this thing's not coming out this year. Yeah, because like Microsoft had like the Doom Eternal luxury of kind of like kind of getting out before everything really, really hit the fan. So like now if 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 the Xbox does get delayed which i think it's possible that that does happen i think it's probably the smart thing to do but if that does happen i feel like people are gonna be like oh yeah yeah that makes total sense because everything is kind of up in tatters but now because they already went i feel like people are just really hungry for the playstation to do the same and they're just going to be confused even with all this stuff happening they're going to be like look it's fine if you're going to delay the machine just show us the machine we just want something like we we people just people just want distractions right now and I feel like that's kind of the main the main thing is that people are just starving for news or starving for something to think about other than the thing that everybody's talking about. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This this could be a, uh, either like a really serendipitous fall, like a trip into like a really positive spin, like you said, or it could just be like they've really kind of screwed themselves by waiting so long. Uh, and the really we'll really only know. You know, once when they go. That's really the only time that we'll figure this out. Yeah, it's I'm anxious to know more. I don't think we're going to know any more anytime soon. I just think it would be completely tone deaf and weird to say anything now. And maybe that was their plan the entire time was to say something now. But the, the realities on the ground have changed. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm still I'm still betting that this thing comes out March next year. But we'll see what happens. Uh, William O'Carroll wrote into a final question. He says, hey, guys, long time, second time, but you didn't read my last comment. I hope both of you and your families are keeping safe. Just want to question your opinions on gamers switching ecosystems next generation. 
In the past, and again in episode 92, Chris spoke about his preference for digital games over physical ones, arguing the point that selling his physical games in the past is something he regrets. He has also stated that he expects all of his games from older generations to be playable on current hardware and criticized PS5 backwards compatibility because it won't do this. Colin, you have also stated your preference for digital games and have highlighted the shift by gamers towards digital games for years now. If you guys both feel this way and acknowledge gamers have vast libraries of digital games, how can you then think large numbers of gamers will just leave the PlayStation ecosystem, leaving their entire libraries behind them? Bearing in mind, every single Sony console has sold more than any console Xbox has released. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. I mean, I think William's right. There is a bit of a conundrum here. I think for me, Chris, it's a matter of what is more important. And I think that this is going to be relative to the person because for some people, what's going to be more important is backwards compatibility and having complete access. What's going to be important for other people, amongst other things, is going to be where their friends go. And so I don't know. I mean, there there is a contradiction here. I, I, I agree with William, but I don't know that it's necessarily a universal contradiction because the reality is, is that the the digital backwards compatibility is just not going to be important for everyone. I just think it's generally important. And for someone like me, I don't really care where my friends go because I don't play with them anyway. I play single player games. So that's going to be a more important component for me, where with someone like you, it will be more important possibly to play with your friends. Although what throws a wrench into this is that there's going to be such rampant crossplay now between platforms that that might not even really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that I think in some ways that makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, you also have to wonder, you have to look at the PlayStation five as it exists, right? And you have PlayStation five that goes back to PS four and you've invested some money in Sony and you've invested some money in PS four. But at the end of the day, your PlayStation three purchases are still just locked away. You have invisible money that is contributing nothing to your life right now. If you have, if you just want the PS five and you can hook up a PS three, to one of your TVs, I guess, if, if, if you want to do that and, and spend hours updating the thing every every couple months when you decide to play a game like that. Or you can be somebody with like minimal investment in, in digital games, and maybe you do have a decent uh, library on PlayStation. But if the next generation Xbox is offering you something that is, I don't know, whether it be a title or like an experience that is marginally better and a vast library of games that you can choose to buy dating back from like 2001... That might factor in as well. It's not necessarily about where you've placed your money. It is for some people. But it's also about going to a platform that has a lot to offer and isn't gated awkwardly between generations. And I think that's the main drive behind why people go to PC. Uh, you know, you, I can go on my PC right now and play Half-Life 2, and it's not a big deal. I don't have to worry about whether or not I have the right graphics card or whether or not I have the right PC skew to play it. It's just there and it'll automatically tailor itself to the system and specs that I have. And that's kind of the, that's where Xbox is niche in right now is that they're the console PC and they're even building their next console like a PC. And I think they're doubling down on this because they know that it's appealing to a lot of people. So yeah, digital, digital loyalty is important and you're probably going to want to go where your existing, um, where your existing properties are and where your existing games are. But if Sony themselves are telling you that they don't plan on really making it uh, making it a tradition to respect those purchases, then maybe you have a little bit more right to be wary of of that choice. Couldn't have said it better myself. Very well said. Uh, thank you, William, for your inquiry. We appreciate you. 
All right, Chris, that's all we have. This lengthy episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. We appreciate all of your love, kindness and support. And we hope that you continue to stay safe out there. We'll see you next week for more Sacred Symbols and obviously later this week and in the future for Sacred Symbols Plus. Support us on Patreon if you can. Be good to each other. Stay safe. Be well. Be healthy. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixie, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Bjorn Campbell, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chand, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Carter Childs, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Jordan Gale, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, and K. Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Bo Clant, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Daniel Margaka, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Daniel Vale, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Vexius, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Madmock Media, Bloody Fang, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, 
Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.